0: As Sammy and I sit here on our Naga Hide rug in our Kanchipuram silk robes, drinking rum and eggnogs, as any self respecting gentleman would do, we wanted to take this moment to wish you and yours a happy holiday season this Christmas, with lots of great trashy cinema for one and all. Merry Christmas from the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. <music>
2: so delightful and since we've no place to go let it snow let it snow let it snow it doesn't show signs of stopping i'll be home for christmas have snow and mistletoe and presents
3: Welcome to episode 13 of the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with a little Christmas cheer for everybody. I'm your host, uh, Sarah Daryl Hall. Cross- what was that? <laughs> I thought you were going to say
0: I'm your host, Daryl Hall, and I would, of course, say I'm John <laughs> Oates. Yeah. There we go.
3: I could grow a mean uh, John Oates mustache.
0: I can't, uh, <laughs> sadly. I can get a, a wicked five o'clock Shadow going, but I can't quite get the mustache where I'd like it, which I think the wife's thankful for.
3: Yeah, I don't wear the mustache anymore. I used to wear it all the time, but too much gray hair nowadays, so no more mustache. Uh, what are you going to do?
0: That's <laughs> the way it goes, I guess.
3: So, like I say, here we are, episode 13. we uh, glad to have everybody back. Hope everybody's uh, having a good holiday season here and in uh, the Great White North and everywhere else that uh, we've managed to, you know, kind of permeate their lifestyles and all over the world. I hope.
0: Yes, I know we get some. We have some uh Nordic, uh, Nordic
3: listeners. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So I think it's was that was that where Santa Claus is from? Is that if uh, the Nordic North. stuff? Is that, is that the Santa Claus legend, or is it no, German? I don't think
0: so. Oh, that's Kris Kringle, isn't it? Yeah, or is it Santa can, Claus. Because yeah, that name does sound German. Wow, yeah. I can't believe I don't even know that.
3: Yeah, we might have to edit all that out because it might offend somebody. So anyway... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Somebody at the Santa Claus Society somewhere might be like, What? You don't know? Yeah, I know. Well, I do
0: know that the Santa Claus vision or image is uh, thanks to Coca Cola.
3: So let me get some of our pleasantries out of the way. Make sure to, you know, head over to our website, check out what's going on over there, ggtmc.libsen.com. We're in the process of fixing that where you don't have to put the lips in anymore. Uh, so we should have it pretty soon, it should just be ggtmc.com. So hopefully we'll have that going. You can uh, vote for us over at Podcast Alley right from the website, which is something I wouldn't mind. more people doing uh we're in uh third place this morning as i as i check it and uh we'd like to be obviously in first place so take the time head over there and vote you know if you want to vote for our uh, sister shows that's fine too but uh make sure you vote for us i mean uh, this is our show so i'm gonna you know pump us the most (laughs) most certainly also you know we got the facebook group which is really getting a nice boom we've grown quite a bit over there especially in the last week or so so uh that's great. Everybody keep joining up over there. The MySpace page, we're getting some more hits over there as well. Uh, keep threading us over at MySpace. It's MySpace.com slash the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. So keep heading over there and get that. I uh, want to mention the Pop Syndicate forums, of course. Uh, head over there, join up, you know, be part of the community. Uh, a lot of our favorite shows are over there. So, you know, you can be over there and be very interactive with uh, Will and myself. Uh, so I'd highly recommend that. want to mention Paris Cinema Magazine. Dylan and Christine put out a very nice product, and we are highly supportive of that and uh, they've been very supportive of us so we very much appreciate that and also if you go to Pop Syndicate you can interact with them too because they're over there quite a bit so there you go. Yes. Uh, you can check out their website too at paracinema.net uh, also Sean's uh, website horrorcommentary.com we will have that interview up at some point Sean uh, or we'll, we'll get it to you at some point. Also uh, you know our voicemails is 206-666-5207 send us a voicemail we'll play it on the show. Emails to midnightcinema.gmail.com uh, also we still got the Donors uh fundraiser going on over at Pop Syndicate so head over there or you can get on our website and check it out over there too. Uh, I believe Alyssa and Deeps are still from the Big Red Podcast are still mad. Uh, I don't know how much longer they're going to do that, but still donate anything you can guys. Anything you can helps and uh, uh, it's a great little uh, cause anyway. So there you go. The only other thing I wanted to mention, that's all of our pleasantries pretty much out of the way hopefully. I guarantee you again we probably forgot something, but the only other thing I wanted to mention was uh, Hands of Steel. We, we covered Hands of Steel last week. Uh, a lot of people you know, it's not a film that's readily available everywhere. I mean if you, if you want to go hunt some VHS tapes down You can probably get a hold of it in some capacity. But if you can't, you can head to a website called filmon.com and they actually have it streaming off of there. So it's not the highest quality, but it's probably about the same quality as a VHS tape, wouldn't you say? Well, but I would say the average
0: VHS tape, yeah, it's probably comparable at this point. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. Watchable. I, mean,
3: I I wa- I watched it that way through filmon.com and it was uh it was about video quality. And if you got a good connection yeah. and stuff, it's 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 about right. So it's a pretty good way yeah. to watch Anyway, I mean, you know, we, we want to make sure you guys saw it because uh, you know, we reviewed it and we didn't want to you guys Think we were just trying to review films and be elitist and say, "Hey, we have this and you don't," so no, you can head over not. there and check it out. And we should have probably mentioned it on the show, but we just didn't think to do that. So now we're doing it now. So there you go.
0: H- hindsight is always twenty twenty, always. <laughs> but I hope that some of you are compelled to go watch it and write in because it's one of those movies. I think you'd agree, Sammy, that. You just want to talk about it with people because it's so insane. Like it's, you know, you just want to hear what someone else thinks on it. That's like, I think when I first posted about it, Hans was excited because uh, he had wrote about it a while back before that. And finally someone else he could kind of riff with it on. So
3: yeah. And that's the reason why we do this more than any other reason. I mean, it's not just to talk about movies, but to talk about movies with people and it's a way to reach people and who have like-minded taste and everything. So that's definitely what we wanted to do. We wanted to get out there. You guys can check it out over there and hopefully you will enjoy it. I think most people will enjoy it. It is awesome. It's awesome. And ridiculous all in the same 90 minutes. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the best review you can really give that film. It's like awesomely ridiculous. <laughs> yep, That would be my box quote. Samurai from Gentleman's Guide says, this film is awesomely ridiculous. Yeah, that that sums it up, I'd say, in a nutshell. All right. So, you got anything else you'd like to
0: add? Uh, one thing I've been meaning to mention for a long time, um, that being in Toronto, we have a pretty vibrant uh, genre scene. You know, you got people like Colin Geddes um, that runs the Midnight Madness, or, yeah, the Midnight Madness portion of uh, the film festival. Uh, After Dark, Adam Lopez's festival. Uh, you got Trash Palace. Uh, you get uh, Vagrancy coming up here. Anyway, I wanted to see if any uh, Room Morgue magazine, uh, with their screening, so if anyone who listens to the show is affiliated with the people I just mentioned, or uh, they're not, they're just an independent person uh, putting on some sort of a screening or some sort of a genre-related event, certainly email us, because I'd love to uh, promote it on the show. I mean, I'm all about promoting, uh, you know, genre movies and... Uh, And everything is the best I can. So um, if anyone has anything, by all means, let us know. Um, We'd we'd love to uh, mention the screening uh, for you guys.
3: Yes, that would be exceptional. Okay, with all that being said, uh, today we're going to be covering uh, a film from 1974 known as Truck Turner. Uh, Hopefully some of you are familiar with that. If not, you will be after the show. And a slasher from 1981 uh, known as The Prowler. That is what we are going to cover, and we will be back after this short break. (laughs) This is Bill from Outside the Cinema. If
0: you're hearing this, then you probably like podcasts. Logical. Flawlessly logical. Well, let me tell you if you like horror movies, exploitation films, and underground and cult films, why not check out Outside the Cinema?
2: You gotta tell them!
0: www.outsidethecinema.com. You're a smart motherfucker. Hey, man, I try. <laughs> I'll have a blue Christmas.
3: I'll be so blue
4: all
3: right we are back from break That voice may be familiar to some I think. If not, you better recognize. (laughs) All right, so we're going to go into our first film here, which is 1974's Truck Turner, directed by one Jonathan Kaplan, who uh, directed a few other films. We'll talk about Jonathan a little bit uh, further later on in the review. I'll give a basic plot synopsis here. Uh, Truck is a bounty hunter who gets a job to track down a guy named Gator. When he and his partner find him, a chase ensues, and Gator is killed. That's a plot point given away in this uh, synopsis, but hey, uh, come on, it's not really that fancy. The, the movie's more about that stuff than just a pimp getting killed. Yeah. Uh, this makes uh, Gator's woman, Dorinda. Uh, is that how you say her name? Dorinda? I think it's how you say
0: uh, it. Yeah, it, it sounds more. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, say Dorinda maybe, sounds right.
3: let's just call her. This is Dorito. Yeah, no uh, kidding. It makes her very angry, and she puts a hit on Truck. The man who agrees to kill Truck is named Blue. Uh, Harvard Blue, by the way. And the question is whether Truck can survive with Blue and his gang on his on his trail. So that plot synopsis gives away quite a bit of the film, but not the entire film. That's a basic uh, basic plot synopsis with a little bit more detail than you normally would like. I picked this film for uh, numerous reasons, but uh, we'll go over it, and I'll kick it over to you to get it started. Okay,
0: yeah, both the films we covered this week are two films that you and I, in their respective genres, uh, had felt... <clears throat> Needed more exposure or are not talked about enough. Right. This one, of course, being from the black exploitation genre, really does not get enough. Again, it comes back to everyone always hyping up Shaft and Superfly and all this. This, again, I'll go on record is is definitely better a better film than Shaft. You know, uh, I'm really glad that we covered it and that you picked it because I think with with either film this week, if you hadn't picked this, I would have, and if I hadn't picked the Prowler, you would have. So, right. let me get that out of the way. Um,
3: <laughs> that is true. Right
0: on. That right off the hop, because you and I are both big fans of these two films. Well, first thing, you know, you're going to get Isaac Hayes uh, is in the, the titular role of Mac Truck Turner, which is a great name. I was going to say Mac. Well, I guess I could say Mac. Uh, but Isaac is, uh, is of course, great in this film. Um, you know, he's one of these guys that he has a look, he has a presence about him. Um, you know, he's a big guy. I mean, he's what is he? Probably about 6'4", six, 6'5". Six,
3: yeah. Yeah, he's kind of a tall, uh, intimidating look uh, to him and everything. I've always liked the full beard with the bald Head, it's always an interesting look,
0: yeah. I think Kimbo Slice uh, is inspired (laughs) by Isaac Hayes because (laughs) Isaac was the original bald man with a big beard, yes. Um, but no, he's got a great, great look, and um a great presence about him, so it's nice to see him in a starring role. Um, you know, uh, Hayes, of course, I'm sure most of you are familiar with the fact that he did a lot of music for films, and I'm not going to get into all of it because, uh, quite honestly, uh, Sammy and I are running a little bit behind schedule this morning, but, I mean, he, he did the theme from Shaft. Most uh, most of you would know that, uh, which is a great, great, great theme. Uh, he did the music for this film, obviously, as well as a number of others that maybe we can touch on depending how we're doing for time. So, yeah, I mean, Isaac and Hayes is, it, is just great. In terms of the film itself, I like right off the hop uh, when you... When they cut to uh, Mac's apartment, you see an Otis Redding record. Uh huh, yeah. <laughs> it's a very small thing, but being a big Otis Redding fan, and I'm sure Isaac Hayes was, I thought it was a nice little tribute to, uh, to Otis. Uh, yeah, to Otis. This film actually has some some well timed humor in it. Uh, and actually, Hayes himself is pretty good uh, with the humor. There's the bit with the, the cat pissing on his shirt.
3: Yeah, no, I really like that because he's like really sweet to the cat, talking to the cat, and then he realizes the cat pisses on his shirt. <laughs> he gets pissed
0: he gets pretty upset and then his uh, his buddy Jerry can smell the cat piss on him and it's sort of a running <laughs> running joke and that's the funny thing about Isaac Hayes is he looks like the meanest toughest guy in the room but he's almost like Bud Spencer in that he's sort of a big old teddy bear like he can he can be nasty but he has a sweet side to him too
3: Yeah it's really weird you mentioned Bud Spencer because he kind of to me he's always kind of reminded me of Bud Spencer in the face I mean he's got kind of the same kind of eyes and he has the same kind of reactions you know to uh, other people in film and uh, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, I was thinking the same thing. Uh, you know, how Bud Spencer reacts to typically Terrence Hill, but how he reacts in a lot of films he's in, uh, kind of with the rolling of the eyes or just, you know, a little smirk on the face. <laughs> he, he does that a lot.
0: Yeah, no, he really does. And it would have been interesting to see them do a film together. But, you know, just two brawling, snarling teddy bears, I guess. That would have been <laughs> cool been awesome. to see. A lot of shit would have got destroyed.
3: <laughs> a lot of hits on top of the head and uh, <laughs> a lot of eye rolling. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> Definitely. Um, another thing I really liked was I liked uh, Truck's chemistry with his partner, Jerry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you when you get partners in films, I think a lot of times it can feel forced or shoehorned. But you know, they they had a real good uh, vibe. Like they were almost like they were friends off the set too. And, and uh, Alan Weeks, who played Jerry, had kind of agreed to do the film uh, just for for uh, laughs with uh, Isaac.
3: Right. Yeah. He's a uh, he's uh, got a familiar face, and you know, uh, I thought where have I seen him before? And then after I did some research, I realized I'd seen him. He's in Shaft, uh, played a small role called Gus in that, and he's in Black Belt Jones playing Toppy. So I remember him in that. So uh, he's has he's got one of those faces. He. Just, he looks more familiar, like he'd done more work, but evidently he hadn't done a whole lot of stuff. He's in Willy Dynamite too, but yeah. he says he's uncredited in that. I've never seen Willy Dynamite. No, that's the one that was it. Dylan had recommended to us. Yeah, somebody had recommended it, and we we talked about how we'd never seen it, so we need to check that out at some point.
0: That's that's got to be uh, that's got to be up there. No, I'd seen that too, and you're right. He has one of these faces that looks more familiar than it actually is. I think there was a, a couple people in this film like that, but no, he was definitely the one that I'd thought of. Uh, I thought, wow, where have I seen him? And I looked, and I don't think it was from any of the things that we'd said because even though I'd seen them, with the exception of Willie Dynamite, um, it wasn't. He wasn't that prominent in in most films that he'd done. So yeah, but I mean, I really like the. Uh, the sort of chemistry with those two, uh, like I said, some of the one-liners and, and the back and forth with them, I thought was uh, was really good, uh, which is important, you know, because there's uh, dramatic moments in the film later on that uh, rely on the believability of that relationship. Mm-hmm. Yep. I won't say too much more than that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. We, that really the major plot
3: point is there, so.
0: Yeah. Um, I would say that I thought Truck had a great gun in this film.
3: Yeah, no. Hey, you know, you think that uh, you know, uh Don Siegel shot uh Clint Eastwood as the uh as the titular uh Dirty Harry. You thought he shot him in hero shots. I've never seen more hero shots in a movie than this one with a gun. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and those those hero shots of uh, of Truck Turner with the gun pointed are so iconic. Um, yes, yeah, the cover you know, love...
3: of the uh, it's the cover of the DVD. It's uh, yeah. Every time you see something about Truck Turner, that's the picture they show. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And it's a great shot, mm-hmm. you know, of him uh, at various points throughout the film. But yeah, it is. There is a lot of hero shots. It's funny. I, I got to mention this. Um, Dick Miller, who plays sort of a, a seedy lawyer that kind of gets the ball rolling, because you know, uh, Truck being a skiff tracer, uh, he ends up looking for Gator, as you'd mentioned in the plot synopsis. But I, I got to be honest. I always mix up Dick Miller and uh, Peter
3: Falk. Yeah, especially at a certain time frame It's like Dick Miller and Peter Falk almost look alike. I guess the only difference was is Dick Miller didn't have the uh, you know crazy eye, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Hopefully that doesn't offend anybody out there that yeah. had a crazy eye, but. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Dick Miller. I mean, uh, it's always great to see Dick Miller. He always uh, he can he's one of those weird actors that can be like real gentle and yet real sleazy, all in the same uh, same fell swoop. Mm-hmm. And uh, he got some great uh, outfit. Got his lawyer costume or his outfit. Does uh- oh man, that's some- he just look- He just looks like a trashy lawyer immediately when you see him. Fogarty, yeah, Fogarty, lawyer Fogarty. Isn't he
0: wearing like a pink or uh, like a sort of a, a salmon colored blazer? I remember there was something about it that was just really garish. Yeah, and... I'd
3: say it was kind of like a salmon or almost like a peppermint. Wasn't very subtle. Uh, he could have for... been, he could have fit in just fine with the pimp funeral, which uh, yeah. we'll talk about it a little later.
0: <laughs> oh, we most definitely will. Yeah, the role I remember him before we get off Dick Miller most uh, fondly is uh, in Gremlins. Yes. Because yeah. as a child, that was one of my favorite films.
3: And a lot of Joe Dante movies because Joe. Uh, Loved him. Or loves him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. What else do I got here? Uh, I, I did want to talk about the salon for a quick moment that Dorinda operates out of from time to time. The black and white salon. uh uh-huh. God, yeah. that, that thing, you, your eyes, I mean, being the 70s, the floor was, was your checkerboard floor, but then the, the wallpaper was this black and white, paisley meets 3D picture meets, I don't know what, I mean, I always get a kick out of seeing 70s uh, interior decorating because, I mean, it's just so fucking busy, you
3: know. Oh, it's that's so true. My favorite thing about the salon is that every woman in the salon thinks Truck is the shit.
0: Oh, they think he's, uh, yeah, they just think he's the, the, the primest piece of beef on the block.
3: And I'm like, uh, you know, Isaac Hayes is a, is a cool guy and everything, but I mean, I'm, I'm coming from a dude's perspective here, so bear with me, people, but he's not probably the best looking dude <laughs> in the history of cinema. I mean, he's a cool guy. He's a cool looking dude and everything, but I don't know about the best looking dude but these chicks man you'd think they they just saw you know the second coming of jesus christ in this uh salon because uh, they just go ape shit when he comes in same thing happens in the uh jail scene as well yeah
0: i mean he's no billy d williams you know yeah, there you go as much as he is very cool uh i don't <laughs> think he, uh, he's billy d quite but you know uh speaking he of the, open, he the... can't open
3: a colt 45 like billy d could there's no no, way. no one can <laughs>
0: <laughs> i thought in the uh in the salon there's a great line a couple great lines a couple good exchanges with uh mac and dorinda uh he goes up to me says you dorinda and uh, she says who wants to know and he goes since i'm asking it must be me or just his delivery of it i guess because i kind of bungled it up but his delivery of it uh it was kind of sharp and it was it was kind of comical
3: yeah that's what Isaac Hayes does well. He did that uh, kind of smart alecky type of uh, acting, and uh, like you know, he's a real badass and stuff. But there's a lot of good timing in here, even between him and Nichelle Nichols, who we 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 didn't really mention her. But she plays Dorinda, and most of you might well, most of you, probably almost all of you who have any familiarity with Nich- Nichelle Nichols will know she was uh, Uhura from uh, the original Star Trek series. So this is a totally different performance from her. Let me just say that, and 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 add some of the some of the greatest moments in this film, and some of the most uh, greatest moments that I don't think were meant to be comedic, but come off that way. <laughs>
0: Yeah, she is a fucking force of nature in this film. I love her in this film. She has yeah. just got so much power. I mean, she just speaks with such uh, conviction. You know, some of her speeches and and whatnot. I mean, she's a real a real tough broad in this film. She doesn't take shit from anyone.
3: Yeah, yeah. The war. The way she says the word bitch and yeah. you know some other words are just uh, classic. I caught myself talking like that around the house after watching the film again. You know, because it's just it's great. You bitches. Oh, oh yeah.
0: She keeps her bitches in line, and I think uh, she she even exhibits. Or demonstrates her strong pimp hand a few times.
3: <laughs> yes, she does.
0: She knows how to keep a bitch in check, as uh, as the saying would would be. But before we offend too many of our female viewers, I'll refrain from using that word. I thought one thing that really impressed me about this film, and we mentioned it with Trouble Man, is, and I'm sure we'll talk about the director uh, Kaplan more later on, but is it just uh, t- from the te- from a technical standpoint, um, some of the cinematography in this and some of the shots were really really nice in the film. Like uh, some of the camera work from inside the cars was nice. I mean, these weren't convertibles in broad daylight so they couldn't do the what is it the poor man's process is the term
3: yeah 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 they couldn't do that yeah, I yeah. love those I love those shots uh, in the cars I mean you can see that Isaac Hayes is actually driving the car and stuff and mm-hmm Really good stuff. You know, they, sh- they shoot it from behind, kind of with the camera up on top. Uh, I like that. I mean, those really good, really nice uh, shots. And, yeah, we will talk about Kaplan further down the road. But it's funny you mention that. The film, you mentioned Trouble Man because this has the same editor as Trouble Man. Oh, interesting. So I didn't know uh, that. It's Michael Kahn again, Steven Spielberg's go-to guy again. So there you go.
0: Oh, wow, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Uh, there's a great little scene that uh, I don't think I'm giving anything away. When, when, Isaac, uh, when Truck Turner and his buddy Jerry are chasing uh, Gator down, it starts off as a car chase. I think then it goes to a foot chase, and I think it might go back to a car chase, but Gator's a terrible driver. He hits everything in his path. You know, I think he thought it, he didn't get the memo and thought it was a demolition derby, not a, a pursuit. Um, I mean, the fucking guy's hitting oil drums, fences, flower stands, grocery carts.
3: Oh, man. I tell you what, if there's anything, and you'll hear about this chase scene again later, it'll come up again later when we get toward the end of our review, so I think you know where I'm going with that, but this is one of those scenes where, you know, the stereotypical, I mean, were people really still selling flowers and flower stands at this point in time in the United States? I don't know. Oh, God, I know. If fruit stands, flower stands, whatever could cross the street.
0: Shower, uh, there's the shop, guy with the shopping cart. <laughs>
3: I think he, uh, it was I'll so. Be- it, you know, I don't know. I don't know how often that had happened at this point. You know, this is 1974, so it might not have happened that often. But since you know, since I've grown up, I've watched a million movies, and it seems like there's been a ton of that stuff and a lot of them. And I was just laughing again revisiting this. You know, like anything they could get. There's like nobody on the streets, but Gator hits anything. I mean, there's nobody around. If anything, no. when you're being chased and you got no traffic uh, and there's nobody around, you would be able to avoid things. But not Gator, man. Like you say, he must have got I not, not got the memo because
0: he seems to run into everything. Every single thing. I think the only thing missing to, to be sort of the cherry on top would have been if there had have been uh, two two guys hauling a big piece of plate glass or something. There you go. The and street. I was
3: and I was expecting that. <laughs> that would have also he uh, he that car suffers from the uh, commando uh, the commando uh, thing uh, where you know he hits. Something Something, he nails it, and then the next time you see the car, there's no damage, and then the next time you see the car, there's damage, and so there's a lot of inconsistency with the damage to the car. But and it's a, it's a unique car. I think it was it
0: pink. Oh, it was pink. All right, <laughs> it yeah. was pink, very pink. Yeah, but that was kind of comical. I mean, even you know, in that scene in between the the two car and foot chases, there's a great little barroom brawl. It's a nice, uh, nice little. uh brawl I mean you know that's the thing with a
3: weird with a weird ending I don't understand why I don't know if I should give it away or not you think I should I don't think it's a plot point
0: no I don't think you're giving anything away that it's not like it's the the joke that the whole movie hinges on right I don't think you're giving anything away to to talk about it it.
3: it's a really odd touch that truck tells them all to pull their pants down and then they leave and the guys are all standing at the bar with their pants down wouldn't you have pulled your pants up the minute truck left you would think (laughs) but now they're all just standing there like I can't believe that was truck turner yeah I know I know. And their pants it's, are down around their ankles. It's, it's, yeah, like, it's, it's very funny, actually.
0: They're kind of leaning on the bar drinking, yeah, and just pants around the ankles. <laughs> they all got the was, tidy whities on. Oh, yeah, exactly. I love when uh, when Truck kicks that guy through the phone booth. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Oh, I mean, that's the one thing, again, getting back to the technical standpoints, because I'll jump around a lot. God, I mean, the use of slow motion in this was really good, really good. Like when he kicks that guy through the phone booth, just to give everyone a visual, um, the guy's in the phone booth, Truck step back, steps back, kicks him, and the guy kind of goes through the, the the piece of the frame like his ass goes over the piece of the frame and he kind of gets wedged out of it and then lands on his back and it was pretty impressive man seeing him kicked right through that thing uh even um with again we didn't give anything away by saying this when gator gets shot uh, so the squibs they use and the slow motion uh it looked really good it was really impressive
3: yeah very Paul esque oh yeah, yeah the squibs uh very Peckinpah-esque. I love that whole uh, scene. I love the uh, the white uh, hooker come running around slow motion with the uh, breast exposure. That was just something like out of a dream almost. Mm-hmm. It's like, what the hell?
0: Yeah, no, that was great. But yeah, I mean, there's so many instances of, of great slow-mo in this film. Did you want to talk about the pimp funeral now? or?
3: Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and talk about it. It's uh, very interesting. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's... Uh, well, why don't I let you talk about the... Uh, all right, so you
3: know, Gator gets shot, and uh, they, you know, they have the uh, pimp funeral for him, which is, you know. All the pimps in the in the town. I'm guessing this is L.A. All the pimps in the town. They kind of uh, show up in their in their best pimp attire. And wow, do they really bring out the stereotypical pimp attire? Ooh. Including uh, one gentleman named Desmond, as you were talking about. It's kind of similar to uh, uh, the lady in the thriller, uh, "Cruel Picture." Uh, Christina Lindbergh. Yeah, Christina Lindbergh. Yeah, couldn't remember her name. And uh, uh, how the eye patch uh, kind of matches the outfits. And uh, it, it's it's amazing how I thought this character was going to be like the badass of the film after I saw him because I was like, "Whoa, man, he's got." an eye patch. You know, when somebody has an (laughs) eye patch, it usually means they're kind of badass, right? Yeah, you would think. This guy ends up being just a total, uh, he's a total limp dick. That's all he is. I mean, he's just like a he's he's all show oh he is
0: he totally is i mean you know i think we should have been we shouldn't have been blind oh that's actually that's a bad pun Un- unintended blind pun i think we shouldn't have been misled by the eye patch because any any time a man is willing to glue rhinestones on his eye patch to match his <laughs> uh rhinestone cowboy attire usually isn't
3: a good sign yeah these these white guys in these 70s films in their cowboy attire it's just ridiculous oh uh, god <laughs> but anyway, they they have this, you know, funeral, and all the ladies are there, and they're kind of upset, and all the fellow pimps come up, and they have these shots where they're looking down inside the, the casket, and they, you know, they always shoot up at the pimp and stuff, and, and then Yafek Kato shows up, um, Harvard Blue, he shows up, and the scene's set up really well, I mean, you know, you think he's gonna walk up, and they're gonna do the same thing, and he walks up, and... He looks in, and you're like, oh, okay, well, you know, Yafet, uh, he must be the man. He's just paying his respects to Gator, and then he proceeds to spit on the camera, uh, which was a nice touch, and I did not expect it the first time I saw this film, and kind of, you know, I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Right then and there, you kind of know where Yafet, uh, Kato's character, Harvard Blue, stands in this film.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, he is actually very cold, very menacing in this film. Uh, he's believable as, uh, as an antagonist for, uh, for Truck, you know, and that's yes. something you and I talk about from time to time is just how you get sort of this, um, well... Sort of the uh, the rhinestone cowboy eye patch, where in some movies would have been the the final battle with our hero, you know, and a bit of a letdown. But uh, Cotto, yeah, is is an appropriate, uh, appropriately menacing uh, foil for from Truck.
3: Yeah, and Cotto almost always plays the heavy. You know, he's got that look. So he's always been an underrated actor, in my opinion. I've always liked him.
0: Oh, I really like him. He's done a lot of stuff. Uh, he's been on both sides of the badge, uh, to use yeah. that saying. Uh, yeah, you know, he is. It's very interesting. But no, he was in The Running Man. He was good in that. Yeah, he's great, man. I, I like Kato a lot, too, and I, I'd like to revisit some of his stuff that I haven't seen. Or visit, I should say, not revisit. Mm-hmm.
3: That's oh. really all I got to add about the pimp uh, funeral. It's it's you know it's the silliness it's... of the costumes and, and everything. I mean you know back then this probably wouldn't have been that silly, but now looking at it, it's always kind of silly to see these you know big fur coats and crazy hats and whatnot.
0: It really does have to be seen to believe. It's 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 a great slice of seventies genre cinema to see that on screen. Yes.
3: <laughs> One thing that I absolutely
0: loved about the film, I, we'll come back to her a few times, is Dorinda. Um, I think you know she really puts in a command performance and she's got some great lines in the film and I could only hope to deliver them a, a, t- a fraction as good as she does there's a line where she I can't remember what, who she's talking about I think maybe it's girls that decided they were going to freelance or run off and she says uh, well they better learn to sell pussy in Iceland because if I see them they're dead or, or something to that effect <laughs> yeah
3: I don't know. it was some kind of crazy line and I was like what? You know, it's one of those moments where you're like what? oh what? yeah what did she just say? <laughs>
0: No, I know, and then the other great great line that and it's it's actually a, a smart line because it sort of uh allows you to kind of get a feel for the history of the character is um basically what happens uh there's a scene I'm not going to go into too much right now i'll I'll talk about it later where she puts all all of uh, gator's girls on displays because she was sort of like the mistress of the house. Um, sort of keeping the girls in check and uh, she puts them all on display because she's going to give whoever can kill um, Truck uh, the stable of girls, you know, and she's talking about them uh, this one pulled in 37,000 working part time and they call her KFC because she's finger looking good and you know, there's this girl and that girl. And uh, it's just a great scene that I'll, I'll probably go into a little more near the end of the, the review. But uh, she says to one of the, the pimps, she says that she hasn't had to sell her pussy since she was 15. when she learned she could sell other girls' pussies. And uh, it's a great little, it's great delivery from her. And, and it's a great little line. But it's also great at establishing that she's one of these uh, women who's been in control of, uh, of, of herself and of that racket for quite some time.
3: Yes, she uh, she's hardcore, man. There's no other way to put it. I mean, uh, this is a hardcore mistress, to say the least.
0: Oh yeah, she is, and yeah, I, she is really hardcore. Yeah, there's a lot of great lines in the film. Uh, when Truck puts his rather large gun in someone's ass and says he's going to give him the biggest enema of his life. <laughs> yeah, that was oh, yeah. Man. <laughs> uh, I only got a couple more notes here. I think uh, the shootout at the hospital, although kind of short, was very punchy, very, very awesome. Um, you got, yeah, no, uh, it was a
3: nice touch. I like how he gave the gun to uh, his buddy. Yeah. I won't go into too much detail about that, but I mean, they, he gave his gun to his buddy uh, because he knew it was going to go down. So that that was pretty cool. And it was a little ridiculous in that it was almost the same as that gator chase, and that you know they're chasing people each other through the hospital, and everybody gets in the way. Oh, people yeah. in wheelchairs are falling out of their wheelchairs, and all oh, that yeah. craziness. And I'm not laughing at that. I'm just saying. You know it's one of those old Hollywood things where if anybody can get in the way, with people running with guns and they get in the way, and so everybody's falling over. I did not expect the uh, the grabbing of the kid, which was just like insane. And and nowadays it's always a little bit more disturbing to see that kind of stuff. It's weird uh-huh. how you know time passes and stuff becomes more disturbing. Yeah, that was pretty disturbing actually. Uh, the way he was grabbed and the way he was kind of manhandled. That's all I'll say about it. But I just didn't expect it. I, I forgot all about it and rewatching it, and I was like, whoa. So yeah, it is go. pretty
0: pretty brutal and even. Even there's a guy that gets shot in the throat uh, at the hospital, and it's got a great spray to it. The guy looks like sort of like uh, a dancer for the village people, he's not quite uh, glittered up, but he's got the leather cap on, and nice, you know, sort of a background uh, village people dancer, a village person, I guess, as it were. Yeah, but on the whole, I mean, the movie's it's you know, it's technically well done, it's got a great cast, and it's a really bloody film, you know. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just such a great, great film, and it's got some sweet moments too, even with uh, at the end. I'll just say that Isaac Hayes, uh Gets another pisser, he tells his girlfriend, which is which sounds odd, and it's actually equal parts cute and awesome when he holds yeah, he packs
3: up. up. he packs up all their stuff, which is about three boxes. It's amazing. I, I know there was more stuff in that apartment than that, but okay, whatever. There
0: were more beer cans in that apartment than three boxes.
3: <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of beer cans. This guy drank all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there were beer cans everywhere. <laughs> uh, beer cans
0: and food containers everywhere. Yes. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. (laughs) But uh, that's all I got about the phone. I'm sure you got some notes, uh, things you want to go over, Sammy, since you picked it.
3: Yeah, yeah, I just wanted to go over, you know, Jonathan Kaplan first and foremost. I mean, uh, Kaplan's not really, uh, probably his most popular film, or, well, I don't know, popular, probably his most revered film is uh, the Jodie Foster starring The Accused, where Jodie Foster won an Oscar for a uh, a performance as a rape victim. It's a very strong film involving, you know, rape and things like that. So if you're not really comfortable watching a rape scene, though, it it can be a little brutal, uh, but it is still a good film. He also directed the uh, Matthew Broderick uh, superstar film known as Project X, which is actually, Uh. I'm making fun of that because I actually hate that film, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he did direct one I really like a lot called uh, Heart Like a Wheel, which is about a female drag racer who stars uh, Bonnie Bedelia I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's really, really good film
0: <laughs> No, I never have, that sounds interesting yeah.
3: Yeah, it's a really good film. I can't remember her name in the film, but she was like the first female drag racer. And it's a a really solid movie. I think it's her, and I think uh, Bo Bridges is in it, too. So, a very good film. But anyway, Kaplan uh, also did a couple of interesting films. I know you brought up The Slams from 1973, which I've always wanted to see as well, and I never have seen.
0: And we're going to be covering, uh, well, somewhat soon. Not right immediately, but we're definitely going to be covering it somewhat soon. At some
3: point, yeah, I'm sure. And also another one I wouldn't mind covering, a trucker film uh, with uh, Jan Michael Vincent, uh, the... uh, you know the poor man's Charles Bronson, as I like to call him. The you know, White Line Fever. That's a trucker film, and it's 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 a lot of fun. I've only seen it like a couple of times, but I remember liking it quite a bit. Uh, he's from the Corman School of uh, directors and stuff, and he's worked with. Uh, Quite a few people. I know he uh, was real tight with Joe Dante and them and uh, all those guys and uh, I can't remember he was in uh, he's uh, he's he's in this film. Uh, he played the chef in the background when Isaac's on the phone. as oh, Jonathan yes. Kaplan. Yeah, he's a uh, back there shaking his head. He was also in uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High at one point. Uh, he's actually friends with Cameron Crowe as well. Anyway, he's got a lot of good buddies in Hollywood and stuff and I've always wondered why he didn't make films anymore and then I go through his filmography and I kind of know why because he made that damn female western known as Bad Girls. Was
0: terrible. Was that the <laughs> one with Sharon Stone? Uh,
3: I don't know. If, no, that was Quick in the Dead. That was a Sam Raimi picture. This was uh this one had Madeline Stowe and uh, Andy McDowell wow. and a couple other females. I can't remember who else was in it, but uh, it was a female Western. It wasn't very good. And uh, after that, he did uh, broke down Palace, which was okay. It's kind of a females, uh, you know, going to Thailand, kind of smuggling drugs, getting locked up in a Thailand prison or something like that. And that's with it was fair decent. Names. Yeah, it was decent, but it wasn't great. And ever since then, he's just been doing TV. So that's
0: too bad. He does he does have a lot of good stuff. Uh, even a couple of his early films, the Student Teachers, Night Call. Nurses, which both have great names. Um, yeah, I think
3: that's Corman stuff there.
0: No, it's. Uh, oh, you mean no. for Corman,
3: you're saying? Yeah, yeah, I think it might have been some Corman stuff.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. Uh, but he did direct it. And one I wanted to mention, if for no the reason, the name um, is The Hustler of Muscle Beach. This sounds like a gay porno to me, but it was a made for TV movie.
3: Hustle some muscles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Kaplan, uh, you know he's 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 a good director. I mean, has anybody seen The Accused? I mean, it's a very very competent film, and I and I wonder why he hasn't made more movies. But uh, you know, it's just one of those things where sometimes in Hollywood you make a couple of duds, and uh, next thing you know, you're working in TV and stuff. So hopefully he'll get back and start making some films because, as we said, Truck Turner is probably one of the, and we we will both agree on this. We'll probably say it's probably one of the five best black exploitation films ever made. And there's a lot of black exploitation films, so mm-hmm. and this is one of the best ones. Period. So it's all action. I mean, there's some downtime here and there, but mostly it's it's almost all action. It's never, I, I never found it boring. Even rewatching it, I thought, you know, I've seen this, you know, several, you know, several times, and I gotta rewatch it for the show, you know, you usually think, oh, I'm not really excited about that, but then I sit there and watch it, and I mean, it just sucks you right in, because it's a lot of fun. Yeah,
0: it's a very, very pacey movie, and I think that <clears throat> the editor you talked about, Michael Cohen, has something to do with it. Kaplan obviously does, and yeah, I, again, like you, sometimes when you gotta watch a movie a second time, and you may like the film, but when you gotta watch it a second time and take notes, it's not a drag but it, it's not as fun but this movie was just as fun for me now and god it just it never stops other than you know for maybe a couple minutes at a time you know you never think you're never looking at your watch thinking oh come on let's go you know it's just pacey <laughs> from start to finish
3: yeah and the, you know the music helps i mean uh, isaac hayes did the score to this film and he scores it well the action scenes are scored well the uh you know the theme song is good all the music's really good uh in the film uh, i really liked uh i really liked the, just the feel of the uh the uh gang of guys that yafek kato called in he calls them what he called them the insurance company is that what he called him yeah I think so yeah he calls him the insurance company and uh, basically this is like a group of hitmen and uh, there's a couple of familiar names in there the only one I can really think of off the top of my head is Joe Dante uh, you know like I said Kaplan had worked with Dante before but there's just there's these all these tough thugs and then there's this one fat uh, and I'm gonna you know say Italian is I'm not saying it in a uh, you know way that's uh, offensive I hope but this is what this guy looks like he's like some fat Italian like uh, loan shark or uh, car salesman what he looks like but evidently he's an efficient hitman so whatever <laughs>
0: He, he, I don't think that's offensive. I mean, you know, my wife's Italian, and I don't, I'm not offended by the fact. Because let's let's you know, call it like you see it. He looked like he was a fat Italian guy. I mean, he did. I mean, like a real,
3: just you know, just he's he's a stereotype is what he looked like. But he just didn't fit in with the rest of this gang of uh, killers. No, uh, no. One of the other pimps we didn't mention was uh, an actor known, known as uh, uh, Stan Shaw. Uh, Stan Shaw's been in a lot of films uh, since uh, uh, this film. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but he's been in a lot of movies. Uh, he always he's a good character actor. He was in the he was the box that had a, I think a, a speech impediment in Harlem Nights the Richard Pryor Eddie Murphy movie I, I, I have
0: I have not seen it actually so I don't know <laughs> yeah
3: it's not really a great film but uh, he's in that and he's pretty funny but he's been in a lot of stuff. he might have been in fried green tomatoes which I don't even know if I should admit that I've seen that but anyway
0: you shouldn't because I have not seen that
3: <laughs> there we go well oh, he was in TNT
0: Jackson though in dark Town <laughs> yeah, yeah, Strutters. yeah he was in
3: TNT oh. Jackson he's uh he's been around I mean he's, he's been acting quite a bit but he's always like that guy he's he's got one of those faces like oh it's that guy and this yeah. one he's got an afro so he looks a little different
0: let <laughs> me let me see because i think if i recall this was the guy is he slim
3: with an afro uh he's fontana i remember that name only because i actually know somebody that lived in fontana california but
0: you know actually okay i remember him now i had to look up the picture so it's who i thought it was um mm-hmm. he looks like a slimmer uh, back then in this picture he looks like a slimmer version of bernie casey
3: Yeah, yeah. He usually plays a boxer or something in a movie. He was a boxer in Harlem Nights. Oh, I remember what he was. He was a boxer in uh, Snake Eyes, the Brian De Palma film with uh, Nicolas Cage, too. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of familiar faces in the film. Uh, Scatman Crothers. We didn't mention Scatman Crothers. He pops up with a wig. (laughs) Yes, he certainly does. (laughs) And, of course, you know, Scatman has one of those great voices, and I love Scatman Crothers, always have. I've been in love with him pretty much since The Shining, and every time I see him in something, I just, like, you know, I love the guy because he's always just, he's got one of the most unique deliveries of dialogue, and and he's just a real character. Also, uh, Chuck Cyphers is in this film. He played the drunk at the uh, Bail Bonds place. A lot of people will know him as uh, Sheriff, uh, I can't remember his name, but he was in the original Halloween. He's in a lot of uh, John Carpenter films. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh...
3: He played the weather guy in The Fog to go back to something we covered. But it's always hitting on Stevie Wayne. Good old Chuck Cyphers. That guy, Sheriff Brackett. That's who he is. Sheriff Brackett in Halloween. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he pops up in a lot of films, but uh, most notably for uh, uh, John Carpenter films, I just thought it was kind of interesting that he played a drunk in this. Yeah.
0: Oh, I know. Certainly it was.
3: And really, that's about all my notes. I mean, I really don't have a whole lot. You pretty much covered everything I wanted to say. I will say that uh, there are some really interesting scenes in here and then of action and uh, violence, and uh, I'd highly recommend, if you're into, you know, nice violent little action pictures, this is a, this is a good one uh there's some really good payoffs with some nice violence and things and uh it's just a real lean and mean film uh all killer no filler as we like to say over here at the gentleman's Guide. that's correct <laughs> and you get a lot of you know hookers and pimps and and big gun hero shots and uh a stabbing involving some scissors it's just it's a it's a lot of fun. This movie's just a blast. So oh yeah, I'll, I'll kick it over to you and let you uh, go ahead and give your MVT and your uh, make a break.
0: Okay, like you would said, it's just a great, great piece of film. Um, you know, it's it's the thing of it is, it's got all the exploitable elements or the sleazy elements that you like as a genre fan, with the blood and, and the hookers and the costumes and everything. But it's all done very technically well, as we've said, and just uh, I want to echo that one more time in terms of the cinematography, the direction, the acting, etc. So yeah, I highly recommend everyone to check it out. Uh, my make a break scene. Is, um, I wanted to say Queen Bee, that's not her name. Uh, Uhura. Um, Dorinda. Dorinda, yes. Uh, Dorinda's speech. Dorinda. Dorito. <laughs> Dorito. Uh, her <laughs> speech to. <laughs> oh, shit. Her speech to uh, the ladies when Gator first dies, and they got an awesome glamour shot of Gator up in the background. It, the, her speech to them basically just saying that she's going to still rule with an iron fist, and if these women think they're gonna anything's going to change, they're dead wrong. That was just, I mean, again, just such a great, great scene in the film. You know, she really, uh, she brought her a game for this. And, you know, and, and I said it to you last night, uh, talking about this off the air, it's nice to see people play roles sometimes that are complete opposites of what they're used to, because they can really run with it.
3: Yeah, yeah, she really goes the complete opposite way of you heard, uh, let's put it that way oh yeah
0: yeah and, and just a great great scene uh, just over the top I mean I'm talking to these uh, these uh, hookers so that was my make or break scene my MVT um, well Dorinda or Nichelle Nichols was so good in this that I for a moment thought oh, I gotta make her my MVT but that wouldn't be fair to number one Isaac because Isaac does the score and is Truck Turner um, but then I thought about it even more and I thought you know what Isaac singularly isn't gonna be my MVT either it's gonna be the, the principal cast of this film um, you know to have such a great strong cast from top to bottom uh, for me was the most valuable thing about this film because all the perform all the performers put in great performances um, start to finish so that's really my MVT of the film um, and as for a score I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10 I think it's an excellent film uh, I think anyone who's a fan of action or 70s uh, of black laxpectations certainly and, and genre film should love this film it's like you said it's lean and mean um, it's a great great film
3: nice yes alright so I'll go over things I like about it uh, my make or break scene is is the car chase involving Gator and uh, Truck and his buddy. So it's a a lot of fun. It's hilarious. At the same time, very entertaining. It's well shot. Uh, I love that they get out of the cars and run through the water treatment plant. They do a little duck and move. A little uh, Gator kind of tricks them. And then they come running right <laughs> again, uh, back out. And they take they take his uh, his partner's car. They take uh, Jerry's car, Jerry's uh, wife's or his girlfriend's car, and uh, that really pisses Jerry off. And then they they get very forceful with the truck driver. And that truck driver, I think uh, the guy driving the Dodge truck, he has a lot of fun. Uh, it's just a lot of it's just a really fun action scene, and it's really well shot, really well set up. And again, to go back to Michael Kahn, really well edited. You can see why Billberg eventually would use this guy in just about every film he ever made. So, I mean, even making these cheap exploitation pictures, this film is put together really, really well. I mean, this is the second time now his name's come up with a black exploitation picture we've covered, so it's obvious this guy was cutting his teeth in the low stuff. But you wouldn't be able to tell because this thing shot—I mean, boy, it's cut like a Hollywood picture, so it's really you know a high-class Hollywood picture at that. So very mm-hmm. good stuff. My MVT—I didn't want to go with Isaac Hayes, but I can—I kind of cannot go with him. Uh, I was going to go with Kaplan. I was going to go with Michelle Nichols. I liked her a lot in the film too. I was even going to go with Gator at one point because it's like one of the sleaziest and, and ugliest people I've ever seen on screen. <laughs> Paul Harris. <laughs>
0: yeah he was sleazy and ugly and just
3: nasty foul like the worst the worst ugliest pimp and it's funny you mentioned that glamour shot because i'm like why would anybody hang up a big you know five foot I mean, by six foot picture of one of the ugliest actors in the history of cinema yeah you know, tell me so. about it oh but uh yeah i mean he was actually a recommendation too, and then, uh, but I just went back to Hayes because Hayes he really carries the whole movie. I mean, he's got that uh, you know, there's a reason why you know he was a I don't you know he wasn't intended to be a movie star or anything when he started acting. He was a musician who kind of just got into movies on the side, but uh, he has magnetism, a lot of charisma. Uh, he's very interesting on screen. I mean, every time he's in a scene, your eyes are drawn to him to watch his reactions, not to any of the other actors and, or nothing. So I really have to go with him more than anybody because he was uh, he was definitely the film that, uh, the the person that held the whole. film. Them together for me, uh, my score, and this is going to stun you, but I'm going to go with a 8.25. Oh, quarter do, points! I usually don't do the quarter point, but uh, <laughs> I'm just going to go just a step up above you. And it's it's not the one up or nothing. It's just that I want to really, in a way, my heart wants to give this film like a big fat nine or a nine and a half because it's just one of my favorite of all the black exploitation films. But it it does fall short in a couple spots. It, it's paced well and stuff, but it, it really is you know the script is not super great, and then you know there are some there are some silliness issues. In there and stuff. But as far as you know black exploitation cinema goes, this is this should be ranked up there with the great black exploitation films. And you know, and it's in my top five now with Trouble Man and and uh, a couple others, which I won't mention because I'm sure we'll probably cover them on this show at some point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's that that's pretty much where I stand, and uh, I definitely recommend anybody check this film out. I mean, this is the only one, and I've actually I've actually can say that I've seen this on the big screen. Uh, one of the local theaters here has actually showed a retrospective of uh black exploitation films before, and they were showing this, and I actually got to see it on a big screen, and it plays really, really well and for Audience, as you could imagine.
0: Oh wow, that, you're really lucky. I've never, unfortunately, got to see it on uh, on a big screen. That's awesome.
3: Yeah, it was one of the few one of the few little nuggets of greatness that actually happens down here in the south. Is that occasionally somebody will get a wild hair up their ass there and decide, hey, I'm going <laughs> to actually show a film that uh, you know people might like
0: instead of Rocky Horror Picture Show, like you'd said they play a lot. Yeah. Well, they still so they
3: still play that. Yeah, so, <laughs> whatever. They might have played it like right after I left the theater, probably. Yeah, exactly. Double bill: Truck Turner and Rocky Horror. <laughs> So with that being said, we'll uh, take a break and we'll come back with our next review.
1: This is Alyssa from Big Red Podcast, inviting you to listen to our show about pop culture, TV, and cool stuff that we talk about every week. Right, Derek?
0: Well, you know you love it and we talk about it.
1: And if you haven't been listening, here's what you've been missing out on. And by a lot, I mean there are several shows to talk about, none of which were especially good.
3: You know, it seems mostly uh, what I'm learning is a lot of things to take a lesson from One
1: Tree Hill, and I never thought I'd say that. He also has a magnificent head of hair. Yes. Oh, thank you. Naked Viking, whatever. And as with Lost, the flashbacks aren't interesting at this point. <laughs>
0: uh, I'm just hoping that uh, it won't break my heart like heroes.
1: Like punch a dinosaur in the face. Oh,
0: yes, yeah. the mother was insane and bizarre
1: and apparently high i'm guessing i learned I mean, a lesson today about karma
0: the man who can't feel pain shouldn't be dealing with hot liquids and whatever right heating old man and why are you not winning
1: so listen to big red podcast if you like tv and junk on tv because we totally watch it and talk about it so you don't have to find us at bigredpodcast.com or check us out in the itunes store
3: Uh, That song always makes me smile
0: It certainly does It's uh, it's become a Christmas classic
3: Yeah, it's it's weird that it has I remember when I was uh, younger, my Dad thought it was, like, one of the worst songs he'd ever heard before in his life. And, uh, now it's kind of become a classic. So. so we will go into our next film, which is 1981's The Prowler. I will kick it over to you for a uh, plot synopsis and uh, some basic information, then we'll get going.
0: Okay, there were two plot synopsis. Plot synopses listed nice. here. One of them is sort of... Uh, the English isn't the greatest, so I'll read the short and sweet one. The film begins with the return home of a World War II veteran... Who was the recipient of a dear John letter? After swiftly dispatching a courting couple in a gazebo, we leap to present day, where a college celebration becomes the hunting ground for a military uniform-clad killer. Reasonably concise, I would say. Yeah. Well.
3: Yeah. That's basically that's basically it. Yeah. yeah that's it in
0: a in a nutshell, as they say. Uh, I picked this one. This was one you were a big fan of as well. Um, why don't I kick it over to you? So
3: the Prowler. This is easily one of the uh, one of my favorite uh, of all the slashers. Uh, this came out in 1981. One directed by Joe Zito um, who most people will be familiar with Joe Zito from uh, Friday 13th Part 4 which a lot of people no, no, no. think is one of the best of the series which it, it is I agree with that it's one of the better ones Yeah. really the thing that I find the most interesting about The Prowler looking back on it every time is how well uh, Tom Savini's uh, practical effects hold up after all these years I mean you're talking about a film that's what 27 years old now mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's right I think my math's right there it I'm, is Yeah. Not, <laughs> a, <laughs> 27 years ago and uh, you know, this is maybe some of of, uh savini's best work he ever did i know he personally uh thinks this is his uh his uh kind of uh, tour de force kind of his uh his moment of glory i mean i know he's done a lot of special effects in a lot of very popular films but uh he really likes this one the most uh on a personal level and i can hardly argue with him on that one i mean he's done a lot of great stuff in a lot of great films but this one uh, the effects are really really great and uh, the very, you know, magic trick-esque, the way he likes to do things, and uh, some really, really good stuff in here. the All the, uh this is a slasher film, so I'm definitely not giving anything away, but all the kills in the film are very creative and very interesting, and uh, you don't really see the cuts uh, that you normally would see in a lot of the films, you know what I mean? I like that uh, also it's kind of got some alternate titles, which uh, The Graduation is one, which I could see that one, but another title I see on here is Rosemary's Killer. What the hell?
0: That's clearly capitalizing on uh, <laughs> a certain Polish filmmaker's 70s film.
3: Yeah, I mean, what the hell?
0: <laughs> yeah. Even the graduation, that's a bit generic, I think.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well yeah, it is, but it totally sounds like a uh uh like a slasher film, you know, type thing, you know. Oh, certainly. So that, I I could see that being made. I don't know. There was wasn't there a slasher film called Graduation Day? Maybe there was. I don't know. Ooh,
0: that does ring a bell. I don't know. I'll have to look that up. While you continue to discuss the film,
3: yep. <laughs> so uh, you know, watching this film again, uh, I realized you know, and the transfer is really good on the Blue Underground disc, but that I own. And but uh, wow, well, we had talked about this off the air, but uh, I don't know what kind of filters they use to shoot this movie. But this might arguably be arguably be the softest movie I have ever watched. I mean. It's almost to the point to where they just put... I think they just put Vaseline on the lens and shot the whole movie that way. Yeah. Uh, It it is so... In some spots, it is so blurry and soft. It's like... It almost takes you out of the film a little bit. You know what I mean?
0: You and I had said... uh, We were talking off the air about that. that We were both kind of marveling at how how soft uh, the lenses were or whatever and the lighting and stuff. And it reminds you of a very early 80s music video or um, the last two minutes of Carrie for 90 minutes consecutively. You know, it just really soft.
3: Yeah, it's funny that uh, that uh, Savini considers this some of his greatest work, and yet Zito tends to think that uh, the film looks kind of fake and hokey. Seriously? Uh, yeah, it's really weird. I mean, I've, I've read that in a lot of stuff I've read about the film, that uh, Zito has never really been... I mean, he likes, the, he likes the film that he made, but he just feels like the effects were never really that great. Uh, he always felt like they were cheap-looking and stuff, but I always find that amazing because they really are some of Savini's best stuff. I mean... Uh, practical effects were you know there's only so many people that do practical effects well and Samini's one of the best and and uh this one definitely pulls through in, in so many ways with the practical effects there's a great there's some underwater stuff there's uh I don't know a knife through the head there's all kinds of craziness uh I love I love the uh weapons that the killer uses in this film uh For some strange reason, I can understand the machete or sword-like thing he uses, uh, maybe, but I don't understand where the pitchfork comes from.
0: I don't either. (laughs) I'm trying to think what military application it would have. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Maybe. No, it doesn't. Tossing hay, maybe? Tossing (laughs) hay. Hay in Europe. I don't know if that was the case.
3: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, man. I, yeah, I mean, I'm just like, why does he keep using a pitchfork? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. But, it, I mean, it only makes sense in the way that, yeah, this would be a painful way to, to be killed. But, uh, you know, and it makes for some good effects, obviously. But <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. There's no... P- I mean and I, I'm still trying to figure out the Prowers costume, too. Mm. I think it's I think it's a World War II, uh, like a gas mask type of outfit.
0: That, or maybe. it's something. No, I was thinking more if they were, you know, it was fighting in Tunisia or a sort of a, a place with a lot of sandstorms, like Northern Africa or something, and some of the military campaigns over there, maybe that shields you from the sand. I don't know.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it's a weird costume. I don't even know if it's a mask as much as it's just like a piece of cloth over his face.
0: Yeah, I... I I, yeah, the rest of it is in line with what I would expect for sort of World War II military uh, garb, but yeah. this sort of uh, green little sack or something—I don't know—I'm not really sure what it is.
3: <laughs> uh, it's interesting. This is the second film we've covered with Farley Granger in it. Uh, he was in uh, "They Call Me Trinity" on episode one, uh, playing the uh, the general. I guess was his character's name in the first one. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and uh, here he is again, popping up in uh, the Prowler, and again, you know, he's mostly known for "Strangers on a Train" and a couple other films. Uh, he must have really needed the work at this point. I'd, I'd, I'd probably. Assume, but uh, he's still pretty good in all the scenes he's in. And the uh, the, one of the scenes that kind of just always confused me about this film was there's a there's a kind of a simpleton in the film, kind of a character that plays like a simple, you know, a simple kind of goofy, kind of like a hillbilly, I guess. And there's one point where, and I don't want to give it away, but there's one point where he is helping out with the Prowler and then does something. And there's this longing look between him and this lead actress, and I'm like, what the hell does that have to do with anything?
0: Uh, uh yeah, <laughs> I completely agree. It went on far too long. It was almost like, wasn't there sort of a a, a long look like that at the end of uh, Lord of the Rings: Return of the King between Frodo and yeah, the yeah, King? something like that? It
3: just, or it, it was almost like the slow motion beach running scene in Ten with Dudley Moore and fucking.
0: Bo Derek. Uh Yes, it just yeah, just bizarre <laughs> that it was in there, and it, it's like thirty seconds of them just kind of looking at each other and smiling. Yeah,
3: because there's no there's no setup initially for why that character would do that. No. So I, I you know, it just it like it comes out of nowhere, and it's like, okay, what's going on? And then it, it sticks around for an uncomfortable amount of time. Yeah. You're just like, what the hell is going on here? Are, are they
0: having a staring contest? Uh. <laughs>
3: It's just really odd Yeah It is Uh, Also in the film Is Lawrence Tierney Who a lot of people Might recognize Recently anyway From Reservoir Dogs Joe Cabot But uh yeah, yeah, but uh, he uh, he he's done a lot of films before. Then uh, the other cast is pretty much all kind of run of the mill eighties, uh, you know, TV soap opera actors, things like that. I want to say that uh, you know we watched Truck uh, Turner from nineteen seventy four, and we made you know we kind of poke fun at the costumes a little bit and stuff. But oddly enough, it's one of those things like you said before. The eighties costuming is just really bad in this film. I mean, and it goes all the way to their hair. You know, I hope Alyssa's listening because I know she likes to talk about hair. The hair in this film is fucking terrible.
0: Oh boy, is it ever! Fucking helmet hair. Uh, London there, who looks like a bad sort of Eric Roberts, Peter Weller knockoff.
3: Yeah, he, he reminds me of that dude uh, that played the kind of buff uh, caddy in uh, Caddyshack. Oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I can't remember that actor's oh. name, but he would pop up in teenage films every now and then. Yeah, but this
0: guy had a fucking helmet head on him,
3: boy. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that hair didn't move either, man. It was pretty amazing. But uh, yeah, And then the girl, she looked familiar, but I, I don't think I've ever seen her in anything else. Uh, most of the actors in this film were I uh, never really did anything else that I can think of um,
0: um, mm, no no me neither I would say very quickly just to interject sorry to cut you off uh, Pam the character of Pam I-, I think the reason she looked familiar to you well for me anyway was that she looked like uh, Lori Steele from Friday the 13th 2 and
3: uh, April Fool's Day yeah a little bit yeah no I, I could see that yeah. yeah I mean you know a lot of these slasher films they would cast new actresses and new uh, new actors and stuff and you know because it was, it was cheap right uh-huh. so to do that and a lot of these actors ended up doing the same type of films over and over and over again or they look similar to something that was a hit. I mean, this is kind of like America's uh, hanging on to the grindhouse. The slasher film is what I always thought is they were trying to hang on to the grindhouse aesthetic, you know, of keeping the characters kind of similar, keeping the plots kind of similar. And and The Prowler is, is a weird one because... I find it would be one of the best slashes of all time, but really, when you think about it, the film kinda doesn't make any sense no it's kind of you know I mean you got a dear John letter, so you got a spurned lover uh who you find out who it is later in the film, and it just it doesn't make any sense why he keeps doing it uh after the fact makes uh, zero but, sense. <laughs> You know, it makes for an interesting movie, though. <laughs> it certainly does. At least in
0: something like My Bloody Valentine, it kind of make, makes sense. It makes absolute sense why um, the killer keeps
3: killing. Yeah. This one, is, I think it just, you know, it's like you know, it's got like some psych- psychological problems or something. Yeah. But anyway, that being said, there's a lot of good scares in this film. Uh, it, there are some moments that, you know, going back and watching it again, uh, there are some moments where nothing happens. And, you know, they're just padding the film, I feel, I felt. You know, I don't know if you felt that. but Big time. There were moments like when they were in the Jeep and they were just sitting there. I think it was a Jeep they were driving. They were just sitting there. And you kept thinking something was going to happen and nothing would. And the music kind of led you to think things would happen and nothing would. I mean, I guess you can call that a red herring if you want to. Mm-hmm. To kind of put people on the edge of their seat. But it, it, it didn't work for me because it kept going on and on and on. So there was at least two or three scenes where I thought it was just kind of padding time. Oh, big
0: time. It definitely was. And I'll get to that more when I go over my notes but I think that, well, I'll say it now since it's topical, the film really does that a lot, and it's kind of sloppily edited in that I think the last third of the film really lags compared to the first two thirds of it. I mean, it starts off with a bang, it kind of goes along really nice and vicious, um, and the last third, I mean, it just to me was a bit of a drag, and it just seemed like they were just filling filling time, like they didn't quite have enough of a script uh, you know, to, to pad it out.
3: Yeah, I think the problem was is that they, they really cut back on the, you know, the, and, and Slashers, you, the, the key with the Slasher film, I've always thought is, I mean, it's all—they're always about the kills, right? Uh-huh. I mean, that—that's really what you're getting into when you watch a slasher film. You're not watching a slasher film because you know you're expecting to see Citizen Kane. You're watching a slasher film because you're expecting to see some people get killed on screen. That's—that's that's really what it—what it comes down to. It's the same thing you do with the, you know, a science fiction movie. You're expecting to see some outer space, or maybe you know, uh, an action movie. You're expecting to see some explosions, right? So you expect to see kills in a slasher film. And this film, I don't feel like—and this is a weird thing to say—and you might agree, but I don't feel like they—I don't feel like they killed enough people. I
0: agree. One. Wanna- Hundred <laughs>
3: percent. Even though I do consider it one of the great slashers, it's uh, they just don't they don't kill enough people. They just uh, you know they could have there was there was a whole there was a whole cast to pick from. There was a whole lot of people to kill. Killed a select few. Yeah, it's what, I would guess off the top of my head maybe
0: five ish people died in this film, something like that.
3: Yeah, maybe yeah, maybe five. Uh, just... Yeah, I think about five. I think five might be right. I'm running the I'm running the characters through my head right now, and I'm thinking five might be right. Yeah, I think five's right. I want to <laughs> see double digits, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, you got to kind of think. I mean, you brought this up before we started recording today. That I mean, this is kind of the beginning of the slasher era, mm-hmm. 1981. I mean, this is still at the very beginning of this whole era of slashers in the 80s. Yep. Uh, so maybe you know the, the body counts would always grow as as slashers kept coming out. Yeah. But uh, you know, maybe Zito was going for something else. But I don't think padding time with uh, you know one. Shots of uh, an actress who wasn't really that attractive anyway, sitting in a jeep, is really a good idea. Nice. You know, I, I just don't think that's a good idea. So there are some flaws to the film. I mean, you, you know what you're getting into when you get into a movie like this. But the the unique look of the of the slasher itself and and the kind of setting of the film, you know, it's your typical teenage thing. There's not a lot of well, there really isn't any sex. I don't think. I mean, there's some promises of sex, but it never really comes through.
0: Well. You know, as, as sleazy as this is going to sound, there's a few things I expect from a slasher film. I expect a high body count. Yeah. I expect to see a lot of tits and ass, which there was only, I think, one or two shots of any. And that, I don't think that's being a scumbag by saying that. I think you expect that. That's sort of the part of the formula. And, right. you know, one of the, the things that, um, why I'll always kind of defend Giallos as sort of gonzo and crazy as they are sometimes is um, at least you can count on a lot of nasty kills and a lot of beautiful women in the film running around naked. This film, the girls were very mediocre. They didn't get naked, and very few of them got killed. So, you would think that you would think if I told you that this is an awful or a lame slasher. It's not. It's a great slasher because the kills that do happen are great, but it doesn't seem to have a lot of the things we expect. But, like you'd said when we discussed before the show started, um, being at the beginning of the slasher cycle, maybe that's part of it.
3: Yeah, I think that is part of it because it really captures the feel of the early 80s perfectly. It might be, out of all the films we've covered so far, this might capture the year it was shot in the most. I mean, uh, going back and looking at this, uh, you know, I was about eight years old when this came out, so I didn't see it. And actually, I didn't see it until many years later. I'd heard about it for years, but it was never really available on video. I don't remember ever finding it in a video store, so I had to wait until DVD for this to come out. So I only saw this probably about, you know, three or four years ago, five years ago maybe. Uh I thought, you know... It really captured that early 80s feel. I mean, not only the clothes and the hair, but just the way films were made then. I mean, it reminds me of uh, the film I did with uh, Bill and Ryan over on Outside the Cinema with um, Hell, Hell Knight. Yeah. It reminds me that it's got that feel of Hell Night, uh-huh. but not as much fun as Hell Knight. It's a little bit more of a grimmer movie than Hell Night. Uh-huh. Uh, Hell Knight's kind of a little bit more fun, even though Hell Knight is a very kind of grim movie. But uh, you just kind of have more fun with Hell Knight. And again, it, it sounds like we're talking about this movie in a bad way, but here we are. You know, we both think this is one of the great slashers. Yeah. So it's it, It's weird. I don't know if if it's because of the way Joe Zito did it, if it's uh, you know the talent there, or if it's just the fact that Savini's uh, gore effects and his uh, practical effects in this film are so good, or is it the name, or is it the way the film is sold? I mean, it's got a great cover. Oh, it does a great uh, cover. Yeah, it's like one of the great covers, and uh, I, I don't know, I don't know what it is that works about this film. Uh, and hopefully, our listeners out there, if you guys got any ideas, because I'm I'm assuming that there's probably quite a few Prowler fans out there. If you guys can give us kind of any ideas what works so well about this film, because we could banter. About back and forth about what doesn't work about this film all day long, but for some strange reason we both have a soft spot for it. So I I, I can't even I can't even begin to argue why that is, but just it just kinda comes off as it kind it comes off as inept, but at the same time, whenever I want to show somebody a slasher, outside of Friday the thirteenth, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street or, you know, the typical franchise uh, pictures, this is always the first one I show people.
4: Mhm.
3: <laughs> So, you know, you would think I wouldn't do that because I'm sitting here saying, oh, well, it's kind of slow in spots. They don't kill enough people and it, may, it might not be entertaining. And, and yet everybody i ever shown it to is like, oh, yeah, man, I really like the Prowler. Yeah, so I think it really kind of comes back to the aesthetics of it, which is the guy, the costume is kind of unique. The uh, the title's great. Savini's work is awesome in it. it it's very, it's weird. And you and you might be able to elaborate on this more. But there's this weird innocence to early slasher films, uh, which is weird to say because they're really just made for You know, there's been a lot of papers written and stuff about how they're Sexist films or misogynist films because they're always killing women and they're always naked and, and whatnot or well you know at least some of the time and there's always sex involved and the virgin always survives all these you know things you hear but early slashers like Halloween and the Prowler and and some of these early slashers at the first Friday Thirteenth there's like this weird innocence to them like this weird kind of like boogeyman innocence to them like of you know don't do this or don't go there because you might get you know the boogeyman will get you you know
0: yeah I agree with you I think if I had to hazard a guess and I'm not always you know necessarily the smartest bear but um, I think because because they're so early on, I think the the cynical nature or how cynical we all are as uh, as horror film fans really permeates into the the films of the time. As we've we've gone along, you know, you look at something like uh, Scream; it's very postmodern and aware of itself. Yeah. And I think just that's that's ingrained in the viewer's consciousness uh, and inevitably the filmmaker's consciousness because they're viewers and they're in in line or, or uh, in tune with what uh, the viewers like. And I think at this time, this was still sort of a new thing. You know, they they were influenced by Giallo, but there wasn't a whole lot of slasher films uh, out then. So yeah, it it is sort of a a weird thing to say, but I agree with you completely. There is sort of a a naivety or an innocence or a a genuine, uh, I don't know, I can't really verbalize it, but yeah, no, there certainly is with a lot of these older slashers, a quaint kind of, they're not as self-aware and coy and winking as... uh, some of the ones to come later.
3: Yeah, it's like this uh, weird nostalgia that comes with them when you go back and watch them. I mean, I always get this get this sense of nostalgia when I watch these old films because I'm always like, I don't know if it's me remembering my youth or it's just the simplicity of the plots or what it is about these early slasher films. But they, they have this kind of, and, and that's the reason why I brought it up, is because you would not think with the type of material that's being displayed, which is basically people being brutally murdered, that you would say the word innocence in that and it's just kind of this weird kind of di- dichotomy of, of of the slasher genre in the beginning. Now, of course, like all genres, it got milked until it ran it completely on the ground, like all films do. hmm uh-huh. Uh, you know once something becomes a hit or you know somewhat popular you know Hollywood or any country really will just kind of ram it into the ground mm-hmm. and that and then that's fine I mean I expect that out of Hollywood at this point I mean I know it's a business I'm a realist, but the beginning of any genre is always the most interesting. The beginning of spaghetti westerns is great too because there's this very sparse nature to the beginning of spaghetti westerns that kind of you know eventually would turn into more and more action, bigger and bigger films uh, you know more and more sweat more and more beards <laughs> yeah it would just become it would kind of become a caricature of itself. Mm-hmm and uh, that's what slashers became too eventually until they you know they, they tapped out and then Wes Craven came back and did Scream which was basically a comment on all slashers right so and even though I, you know I like Scream for what it is so I do it's not one of my favorite films of all time but I, I do like it for what it is yeah. because it brings out an interesting commentary on you know on slasher films you know and how that this genre existed it's, it's kind of like F-13 always says on Cinema Diabolica that you, there'll never be another Jello because you, they, its time has come and gone right yep Those those days are over well I kind of feel that way about the The slasher. I've seen a lot of slashers since, but they never have ever recaptured the magic, the uh, the the power of the way they were in the early '80s, late '70s. Uh, I know a lot of people like Hatchet. I I wasn't a big fan, but I know. I mean, it was okay. Yeah, it was all right. I mean, and it tried to recapture that, but even then, it couldn't recapture it. And I don't know if it's us as a society or whatnot, but whatever the case, it just you know these early films, they just have this, like you said, you know, kind of naive sensibility to them, and it's really weird when you talk about a brutal murder picture, uh, you know, they come across as naive and simple or uh, innocent sometimes and guys I want to apologize for saying pitcher a lot I just recently watched uh, the kid stays in the pitcher again the Robert Evans documentary and the guy says pitchers every five minutes and ever since I've watched it I can't stop saying fucking pitchers
0: yeah you and I (laughs) I talked about that I I like saying it too
3: yeah I feel like Scorsese over here like oh yeah those are great pitches yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly really that's all my notes on it and stuff and i got a little deep in the conversation again as i'm want to do that's good so, though uh we'll go, we'll kick it over to you and uh see what you thought about the problem
0: okay uh a lot of the stuff you'd covered uh, usually whoever goes second uh most of their stuff's been covered and that's fine because you know you and yeah, I. Yeah, again
3: the scratching the scratching of the notes
0: yeah the <laughs> uh hang on let's let's see here Okay, uh, before I get started into my coverage of the film, I did want to first and foremost um, thank my beautiful wife, my mama bear, as I call her, uh, for taking notes for me during the watching of the film. Um, Nice. The problem is when we watch films, now having a son... um, I want to hold him, and I don't get to hold yeah. him a lot. And um, my wife has been kind enough to do this on a few occasions now. she will she, I won't even have to ask her. She'll volunteer. She'll say, hey, listen, why don't you hold him, and I'll take notes. You just recite what you want written down, and I'll write it down for you. So <laughs> uh, I want to thank my wife because it's sort of, you know, talking about killing two birds with one so when I get to hold and cuddle my son. While she's taking notes for me, you know. So nice. uh, I want to thank her for that. Not that she listens to the show, but I think you know she still needs to be recognized for that. So thank you again, Mama. Love you.
4: <laughs> uh, anyway, that out
0: of the way, um, I really like the the little sort of newsreel opening. You know, yeah. I thought that was yeah. sort of really intelligent uh, for its time. That was a bit of a coy kind of thing that they did, and you know, for its time it was really ahead of its time. I think uh, to sort of put that in.
3: Yeah. No. I don't. I don't think any other slasher I can think of uh, starts that way.
0: No. It's and it's it's almost like it's it's this. Um, Um, You know, before we all became very ironic and aware, like we had touched on um, with slashers and what have you, this was way before anyone else had had done that. Um, We're in the the early stages of the slasher, and to kind of put that in, I thought was really interesting.
3: I could be wrong about that. There might be another slasher out there that does that. Uh, If anybody knows, contact us, let us know, because I haven't seen all slashers. I've seen a lot, but I haven't seen them all, so there might be another slasher that starts with some type of newsreel footage or newspaper type thing or something.
0: And no, Texas Chainsaw Massacre doesn't count yes <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh by the way Graduation Day is a slasher from 1981 I looked wow, that up how about up. that How about that? it's got a very promising 2.7 out of 10 on IMDb um, sounds like something we'll watch sounds like something we will watch so I like the newsreel footage I thought it was interesting I like the setup further to the newsreel footage you know again a lot of uh, slasher films whether they were made now or then they tend to be very topical and in the moment uh, this is a late 70s slasher it starts in the late 70s ends in the late 70s this one is sets itself up in World War 2 so it's it sort of of has this age-old mythology, and, and further to the whole boogeyman uh, type thing, it really establishes it as that because this is 35 years after the fact. So the the sort of specter of uh, what happened that night at the graduation looms large over the film.
3: Yeah, yeah, and and, and all the best slashers have great setups. Mm-hmm. No, they certainly. You know, and this one this one has that great uh, setup as well. You know, the I think I think there's somebody the, in New Jersey. I think they call it the Cropsies myth, myth or the Cropsey's legend or something like that, where you know people go into the woods and. And don't come out or something. Anyway, that's that's really the key to any slasher is the setup. If the setup's not good, the slasher's not going to be that good. Unless you got like Tom Savini, and then then you might get you know you might get lucky. But if you think about all the early slashers, uh, like even Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th or Halloween, even uh, Halloween might be the greatest example actually. Yeah. Uh, The setup is the key, you know? Once the setup is there, you're like, okay, I know what I'm in for. Mm -hmm. Actually, yeah, now that I think about it, Halloween probably is the quintessential setup. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, no, certainly. Maybe the greatest setup, so.
0: Yeah, no, it definitely is the quintessential setup. I think at this point, anyone who listens to our show has seen Halloween. Um, uh, I would hope you would hope I mean it really is one of the essential films and yeah that set up yeah sets the plate nicely for you um, and this film it that's the thing it really starts off well with that and I thought okay this is good you know starts off with just a great double kill with a pitchfork that we had talked about starts the movie off on the right foot and you know I'm going to talk about this time and time again and I'll try and move this along uh, quickly I always say that and I never do <laughs> is and you maybe be touched on this I like the fact that you get the money shot from the kill. So you get to see the penetration, as it were, and there's the lingering nature of the shots, where not only do you, it's not like a quick cut, you know, where you you see the knife going, uh, and then it cuts away, it stays on the shot. And it, it makes it that much more brutal. Um, and this comes up again and I think is maybe most effective in the film when the one girl I thought was halfway decent in terms of looks and uh, that may sound shallow but you know I want to see some hot 80s girls uh, with fabulous <laughs> teased hair and uh, my slashers. Uh, yeah, yeah,
3: well not only that but I mean we did Rower Boogie and there were some fabulously hot chicks in that and they were from the 80s so there you go. Oh yeah,
0: oh most certainly. <laughs> but the scene in the pool I'm not giving anything away because I won't say necessarily who it is but it's the one character I thought was, was halfway attractive. Um, God, she gets killed in the pool and there's a little bit of cat and mouse In the pool, um, that works really well. And what happens is he slices uh, the girl's throat underwater, and you can see the blood just keep on pumping out of her throat, keeps pumping out of her throat. And the way that kind of uh, the cloudiness of the blood in the water as it's kind of floating away. And they take it a step further. They show she starts to slump, and then there's that final twitch, and then she dies. Then she goes limp.
3: And I thought, fuck
0: me, that's you know that's great stuff. I mean, that's what you want to see in a slasher film. Stuff like that. Stuff like uh, the pitchforks in the beginning. There's this great scene in a shower. Uh, My really like that Ashton Kutcher look-alike yeah yeah that guy yeah.
3: Well, well, I can't remember his name but it was uh, probably
0: Chad or something I don't know <laughs>
3: yeah. I can't remember his name off the top of my head I'm trying to think was it Carl Ben Chad I Paul? Don't. Roy yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah know, Paul
0: yeah good point I have no idea um, but she thought he was quite <laughs> hunky and wished that helmet had Eric Roberts uh, and him had a switch casting <laughs> the you know roles and you could have seen the Kutcher hunk uh, parade around in his Jeep for the whole movie. You know, so that's, you know, whatever, that's her two cents. Uh, but that kill in the shower, God, again, it was great with the lingering nature of the shot. It just, it doesn't cut away. and
3: Yeah, it's very sexual, uh, which a lot of the, the kills in this film kind of are, when you think about it, they are kind of sexual in a lot of ways. Well, yeah,
0: we'd use the term money shot, the penetration. You
3: could even you could even use an argument that the, the climactic scene of the film, uh, you could even use that argument that... Uh, Wow, maybe I shouldn't say this. Oh well, what the hell, I'm going to say it. It'll make for good commentary out there among the listeners, anyway. If you guys see this film or have seen this film, uh, the kind of climactic part of the uh, film, which I won't give away, but you could actually argue that that too it lingers almost like uh, uh, like uh, Bukaki.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know who would have ever thought uh, a shotgun blast to the head in Bukaki would be compared, but it's an accurate assessment on your part. It is like a crimson... No, it
3: really is. I mean, it's it's, it's that sexual nature of slashers, and Savini probably brings that more than any other practical effects artist I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, and
0: I would love to get a t-shirt that has that felt lettering that says, I heart crimson bukkake, but then people would think I'm really weird, and some sort of sexual pervert not understand that. It's like, no, no, I like horror movies. I like splatter, you know, so I think that maybe wouldn't be a good...
3: Oh, yeah, you like splatter, all right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is going... This is devolving very quickly. I'm going to jump off of... uh, Crimson Bukaki talk Um, The man batter The The baby batter The baby baby batter Exactly
3: (laughs) Disgusting Uh, uh, Okay just a
0: few (laughs) final points here (laughs) Okay three final things I want to mention The score is very reminiscent
3: Of a Friday the 13th score Oh boy, is it ever! I mean, it really is. What is it?
0: A violin? You're more of a musical guy. More of a... Is that a violin? I don't.
3: I don't know what it is exactly. I would say it's a violin or an early an early synthesizer. But either way, if I was Manfredini, I'd probably, I'd almost practically sue because I mean, it's uh, there's some parts where it's like so similar. I
0: said that to my wife. I heard the note I had to write was score is reminiscent of Harry Manfredini's Friday the Thirteenth work. It so is. This you honestly could take the music out of a Friday the Thirteenth film, put this in it, and no one would think, hey, this doesn't sound right.
3: Yeah, it's a, and for for listeners out there, it's kind of like you know when those scenes in Friday Thirteenth when like uh, Jason or somebody is looking through the woods and he's watching people. Mm-hmm. There's always that kind of high string noise. That, that there's a shitload of that in this film. <laughs> yeah, there is.
0: But you know, this came out uh, what was uh, Friday Thirteenth, nineteen eighty. Yeah, so it
3: this... came out right after Friday Thirteenth, I believe. So
0: I wouldn't bash this too much because they may have been produ- in production around the same time. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Savini,
3: you know. Savini worked on both films, so. Yeah,
0: yeah, so I don't know, but it is very similar. Um, the killer puts roses down on the bodies after he kills them. I thought that was a nice little visual touch. Yeah, yeah, I like the roses. Which, nice. which ties in with my next point uh, very well. Um, there's a close up in the movie of black leather gloves, mm-hmm. which to me is a bit of a giallo tribute, or it could be. That's the way I interpreted it anyway.
3: Uh, how could it not be, really? How, I yeah, mean, Yeah, how could it not? Zito has to be familiar with Giallo. He's Italian. I mean, a lot of these guys that did these slashers in the beginning, I mean, slasher films are nothing but, you know, to me, but a Hollywood version of a Giallo, really. So there are some differences, but uh, they're basically the same type of film. They are, yeah.
0: No, they really are.
3: Um, so I'm sure Zito saw quite a few. He might have saw Deep Red and uh, a couple others. Oh, yeah, him
0: being a a genre fan and an Italian genre fan of that, I don't know how it couldn't have been. That's pretty much all I got in terms of notes. Uh, I thought the room, one actually final thing, the room with the white drop cloths, I find those always can work really well in films as sort of... uh with jump scares and just is this just creepy in the right setting so I thought that was well played they used that a few times in the film and you're waiting for something to happen so mm-hmm. but that was good that's really all I got
3: all right so I'll go ahead and go over my MVT and my make or break my make or break for this is really was really difficult because even though there are a lot of scenes where nothing's happening there are the scenes where something does happen are kind of also great it's really hard to pick one so I'm gonna go with my make or break being just all of the kills in the film uh, because there's not very many of them like you said four or five maybe but they are so also memorable and they're like, you know, showcase things. I mean, if I was going to show somebody uh, really good practical effects, I'd probably show them this, and maybe, you know, Day of the Dead's another good example. Again, that's Savini oh, again. Yeah. But, you know, practical effects can still be used quite efficiently. And actually, that's the one thing I will say about Hatchet, going back and talking about Hatchet again, is the uh, John Carl Buechler uh, special effects are uh, Great. pretty astounding in uh, Hatchet. I really like that part. They went back to practical effects. I really like that. Uh, that's all I'll say about Hatchet. <laughs> and for trivia you no, know, John Carl Buechler did direct uh, Friday 13th. The one with uh, was I guess it's the new – which one is it? The – I can't remember which one, New Blood or something. The one with the girl with the telekinetic powers. Yeah, he, he did direct the that one. So blood, the Zombie yeah. Jason is the John Carl and in, in, invention. And uh, you know, he did create him and Kane Hodder did create maybe the questionably the greatest Jason kill with the sleeping bag against the tree. Uh, I,
0: so. I would say not questionably, it is absolutely the greatest kill in a Friday the Thirteenth
3: yeah. film. And all the kills on Friday Thirteenth—it's probably my favorite too. Oh yeah, so, it's so brutal, man. I know what that is. I love how matter-of-fact it is. It's like, what's he going to do? Oh, here yeah. we go. This <laughs> is awesome. And uh, that's my make or break. Just all the kills. I mean, it's it's worth seeing for that alone. And then uh, my MVT for the film is in the same vein. It's Tom Savini. I mean, this is a showcase for Tom Savini. And there's a reason why. I mean, a lot of people nowadays probably don't—they see Tom Savini and they see him always as you know the kind of goofy uh, deputy in Planet Terror or Sex Machine and in, uh, in From Dust to Dawn or, you know, he's always this kind of character now. But this is a super talented uh, effects artist. Probably one of the greatest in uh, Hollywood history. And uh, you really see him on full display here with some of his uh, bags of magic tricks that he likes to he likes to call his effects kind of like magic tricks. So uh, these are some of his best ones, though. I would have to argue that uh, this might be his best work. I mean, Day of the is pretty damn good. Uh, for those of you familiar with Day of the Dead, there's a body ripping in half scene that's pretty fucking astounding still to this day. How does he say? Choke on it! yeah joke on (laughs) so yeah Uh, so I mean this is pretty much a showcase for him so I'm gonna go with Savini because that's just where my heart is with this film and uh as far as a rating, I mean, it didn't sound like we we loved it that much, but I'm going to give it a 7.5. This is one of the great slashers, in my opinion. Uh, it's easy to tear it apart sitting here and talking about it, but every time I watch it, even though it does have stretches where nothing happens and the acting isn't always great in the film, and it's the soft like again, I'll say the softest, the most Vaseline horrific uh, fucking slasher I've ever seen. I mean, it just, it just it's amazing. As you said, it's like the last 15 minutes of uh, Carrie, like the whole time, right? Mm. I don't know if we mentioned that on the show, but me and you, yeah, talked we did. About that. That's what it's like. <laughs> (laughs) It really is. But, uh, yeah, I give it a 7.5. I mean, it's a very, very solid picture, a very solid uh, slasher movie. You can't go wrong. It's a lot of fun to show people. It's quite enjoyable. That's all I really got to say about it.
0: Good stuff. You and I, I think we should just start calling ourselves, like, the Borg Collective or something like that. We tend to think along the same lines. And, you know, I'll say it one more time. People, you know, sometimes think that controversy or or argument uh, is interesting. I think it can be. But I, I think more than anything, you and I have discussed many, many times that promoting the films we love is even more important um, than,
3: than... I think what we are discovering, to the listeners and to you, I'm saying this, is that me and you have such likenesses of the same types of films, regardless of genre, mm-hmm. uh, and starting a podcast that, uh, you know, like I said before, the beginning is going to be like this for a while. I mean, I, I assume at some point we'll disagree on something, but, I mean, what can you do? I mean, uh, it's like uh, Soulmates almost at this point. So, Oh, it is. My wife and your wife would actually get a kick out of that because... Uh, as they you know call us girlfriends so there you go yeah
0: oh my wife is oh you're on the phone with your girlfriend or your mistress or any of that so yeah no it's true I mean you and I have said that and I'm not about to to drum anything up for the sake of it isn't like a wrestling angle where you know all of a sudden I rip off my shirt and I'm wearing like another podcast shirt and you know. Yeah. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when someone comes and whacks you over the head while we're we're recording you know, something stupid. We we, we love film and, and I think, you know, for us to be able to get the films out to be loved, sure it's gonna be like that for a long while, but you know, so far you guys have seemed to like what we do, um, and we're gonna keep doing it that way because I think we find a formula that our passion comes through, but um, anyway, I'll stop babbling. My make or break again is the exact same as yours. Um, the killings in this film are really, really good, and it's it's a great piece of work from uh, from Savini. Uh, just very very brutal stuff and then like I said I love the fact that they don't cut away you see the brutal impact the penetration as well as the sort of lingering leering after effect of each kill which makes it that much more effective. my MVT is uh, listen there's no way you can get around this I don't know anyone who would would choose someone other than this uh, but it's Tom Savini because with even mediocre effects this would have been a mediocre film yeah really would have but the kills are so great now I will say this and let us know what you think someone I read somewhere or Someone had said that the shotgun blast to the head in this, they think, is better than Savini's work in Maniac, and I completely disagree. I think the shotgun blast to the head in Maniac uh, with the splatter is his best shotgun blast.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's kind of hard to argue with that. This one kind of comes and goes, but... yeah, I'd have to agree with you. The one in Maniac is pretty fucking brutal. Oh, it is really, <laughs> really fucking brutal. Again, in the context, I'm sitting here thinking. I'm thinking about it while I'm talking about it, and I'm sitting here thinking, "Whoa, yeah, it is. It's pretty brutal." <laughs> yeah, oh, it
0: most certainly is. Um, so yeah, that's my MVT. My score is a little lower than yours. It's a seven out of ten, and that's not to slag on the film, um, which it seems bizarre, you know, that we did. It sounded like, but like you, I always have had. A, well, since I've seen this film, I've always had a strong affection for it, and was baffled that it wasn't mentioned more alongside. The the great slashers, because it it deserves to be mentioned in that sort of pantheon of of first-rate slashers. It's got it's got everything you're looking for. Well, it's got the kills. It's got the kills. It's got a great mythology. Got a great look to the killer. The only thing it's missing to make it pitch perfect would be a few more kills and a little more nudity to sort of be the quintessential slasher film.
3: Yeah, yeah, and that's 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 pretty much when you review a slasher film, that's what you got to think of. I mean, you got to think there's going to be nudity, there's going to be a lot of kills, and there's going to be a lot of you know cat and mouse and things like that. And there is a lot of cat and mouse in this film, but there's some of the other things it does kind of fall through on, and that's probably why the 7.5 and the, the 7 rating come in. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those movies that I think when people see it, they'll always look back on it fondly. If anybody hasn't seen it, uh, make sure you check it out because I think you'll fall in love with it. I really do. Now, if
0: you're a horror fan, a slasher fan, I don't see how you can't enjoy this film for what it is because it has what you're looking for. Like I said, the kills are the kills pound for pound are, are amongst you know the better kills in any film, you know, despite there being a sort of a, a lack of them. But the ones that are there, I mean, they really deliver. Oh,
3: yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's our uh, a review for The Prowler. Uh, check it out, 7.5 and 7, and we will be back after this short break.
2: Want to tell the world about that crappy big budget flick? Or get people to buy that barely noticed book or CD that rocked your world? Can't quit talking about pop culture? Then become
0: a blogger at one of the fastest growing review sites online popsyndicate.com is searching for people who want to blog about movies dvds books comics anime music tv shows and more check it all out at popsyndicate.com and email the editor for details popsyndicate.com your virtual pit stop for all
1: things pop culture
3: All right, we are back with some feedback. I went very old school with the Christmas music, man. Like that old rock and roll feel. So
0: nothing wrong with that. You know, we could have went with so many uh, great Christmas songs. There's just uh, not enough time in our show.
3: <laughs> well, if we, no one else. We could find a way to make more time. Yeah, I'm sure we <laughs> certainly could. If,
0: if work and life didn't, we could do like a 24 hour marathon. Or, you know, like a, like a telethon. Uh,
3: Type thing. Yeah, well, that would, that's what it would have to be. Okay, we're going to go into some feedback. Before we do that, I think you wanted to say uh, a few words. Yes.
0: Uh, Wormwood Bebop, our good friend... Um I just wanted to say thank you very very much uh, for the few things you've done. We we've mentioned it before, but for those of you that don't know, uh, Wormy designed the Gentleman's Guide logo that should come up when
3: uh, you've downloaded our show. Uh, uh, should, but it's still, it still I still isn't working yet. I still got to get on that. So
0: okay, but it's sort of a yeah, it's a sort of a mystery science theater uh, mm-hmm. feel to it. It's got two samurai sitting in the front row of a the theater, uh, with some pops and scratches on the film, and and has our title. Uh, he came up with the term mm-hmm. Gentle Minions for what it's worth, and uh, some. Else he did for the show, um, that I won't mention, but it was real, real great of him to do, uh, and much appreciated. So, I think you know, well, Sammy and I really wanted to thank you for that, Wormy. It's uh, it's great to have people that believe in what you do uh, as much as you do. So, uh, you know, great stuff. We uh, we appreciate it.
3: Yes, we do. We are very thankful to have a fan like that. So, thank you very much for me. All right, so we got a couple of emails and a couple of voicemails, so I'll go ahead and let you get started on the emails. Okay, the it's let's hear it for the girls
0: this week. Um, we got uh, I think <laughs> it's strictly it's ladies' night. So that's good. Uh, the first one is from Christine of uh, Paris Cinema Magazine, which can be found again at paracinema.net. Uh, episode 11. Hello there, gentlemen, longtime listener, first time emailer here. I just had to drop you guys a line to let you know how much I enjoyed episode 11. I'm only up to episode 9, but I skipped ahead just to hear the Let the Right One In review. It was a wonderful listen. You did a great job staying spoiler-free. Love the show. You guys have really hit a stride. Keep up the good work.
3: Yeah, you know, that's amazing. I went back and when I was editing the uh, Let the Right One In spo- uh, review, we never said we weren't going to be spoiler-free and somehow we managed to do it anyway. I-, I don't know how we did it. I guess just at this point we just kind of know when to spoil and when not to spoil, but we never, I don't think, talked to each other about not spoiling or spoiling the film. We just Kind of just went through it in our natural way and came out with no spoilers, so that was pretty impressive. I Even mean, I have to stink that, and I, and I was part of it, so yeah. <laughs> I had to blow my own horn there. But well, wow. <laughs> well, no, I
0: think you know. Again, you and I have the same sensibility. Um in that. There's some things that it's okay to spoil because it's not even spoiling. Um, They're not essential to, uh, they're not twists and turns in a film that are going to impact your viewing if you know them ahead of time. So, you know, we may say those things, but, I mean, sometimes we err on the side of the caution, but I'd rather do that because I don't want the power or impact of a moment in a film to be taken away from someone because we decided to keep blathering.
3: Yes, and then Let the Right One In, it's a pretty powerful movie in a lot of aspects, and we definitely didn't want to give any of that stuff away, so. No. I'm glad we did not. Exactly. Uh, So,
0: thank you for that. Hopefully we'll hear from you again soon, Christine. Uh, uh, I think you'll be hearing from her very soon. Yes, we certainly will. Uh, and, of course, after this episode, I mean. But uh, <laughs> we will literally be hearing from you uh, within a few minutes here. Uh, the next one is from Barbarella. Hello, nighters. Oh, no, wait, let me read the title. You actually did the girls You made them girls Your bitch. Hello, nighters. Uh Great to hear you plan to cover Three Iron. And again, that's a Kim Keduck film. And she says, This is one of my favorite Kim Keduck films and a great introduction to his work. Sammy is in for a treat. My first was Bad Guy, and I did like it, even though I don't see it appealing to everyone. I love how his characters don't really speak much or at all in his movies, uh, from the ones I've seen. I have many make-or-break scenes from any of his, any one of his movies. So many just in Three Iron alone. Samaritan Girl actually has one of my favorite scenes ever, and if you ever cover it, I'll send it in. I'd really like to see you cover The Isle, mainly because I'm too chicken shit to watch it. Some about fish hooks, I don't like them. Sorry for the babbling, he's just one of the few directors I get all babbly over. Toodles, Barb, Willie, those were awesome gers. I better, I can't bring a lamb now. Gurr, as always, fuck Twilight, and yes, fuck Twilight
3: is correct. Yes. <laughs> Um, yes, I'm. I'm. I'm so looking forward to the Kim Ki Duck stuff. Uh, send in some of your other directors that you get all babbly about. I'd be curious to know what some of the other ones are, Barb.
0: Yeah, because Kim Ki Duck. If you're a real fan of Asian cinema, you'll know him. But it's it's not like for people that casually dabble in his in Asian stuff, they'll know him because you know maybe people you know now they know Park Chan Wook and uh, John Woo. You know, a few people like that. But Kim Ki Duck's sort of a more if you're really into Asian films, you know him. And yeah, he, he divides people, and we'll talk about that when we cover Three Iron. But
3: um, yeah, Bad Girl isn't. I'm really excited because the things I'm hearing. They're the kind of things I like. Uh, I like the characters don't talk that much. That's actually one of my favorite things about movies. It's really weird that uh, some of my favorite films of all time there's not a lot of dialogue. I mean, I love Once Upon Leone. a Time in the West, and yes. you can go go back and watch Once Upon a Time in the West. There's not a whole lot of dialogue in that movie. No,
0: no, there's not. And yeah, I, now that I think of all the films I think I've seen of Kim Ki for the most part, the characters don't speak a lot, and that's fine. That's good stuff. Um, so yeah, we're excited to cover that. It's a little ways away, Barb,
3: but uh, soon enough. Yeah, 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 and uh, hopefully we'll get into some more stuff after that. But, yeah, it is a little ways away. We got, It will be covered, and hopefully more stuff will be covered as well. And, yeah, send in like I say, send in more of those directors you're babbling about because uh, they might be somebody people were babbling about, and uh, if not, you might open our eyes to something we need to start babbling about. So mm-hmm. there you go. All right, so I'll go ahead and play our first voicemail.
2: Hey, guys, Jay, calling from Lansing, Michigan. Definitely <laughs> not East Lansing, Michigan. Um... I just wanted to, uh, comment and say, hey, sorry, uh, it took me so long to, uh, get back with, uh, the listener choice, whatever you call it, um, I, I my choices kept changing from day to day, I wanted one thing, and then I wanted another thing, and then I wanted another thing, and then I wanted another thing, you know, some, sometimes they were going to be esoteric, sometimes they were just going to be shit films that I hope you'd hate, but, In the end, I just settled on uh, choices that were my idea of, well, gentlemen cinema. Midnight cinema. I apologize. Um, The kind of films I'd easily throw on at midnight. Um, Which brings me to uh, episode 12. Um, Wow. I never heard the first film. And uh, it sounds amazing. I want to see it. Thanks for... uh, telling me about a film that I definitely am not going to see for a while. Bastards. But uh, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, man, wow, great movie, great movie, great movie. You're absolutely right. It took me about three times until I realized the genius of what it was. I mean, I watched it once because I like Sam Peckinpah. I hated it. I watched it twice because I like Sam Peckinpah. I didn't hate it. I watched it three times because, well, okay, you get the idea. Um, and all of a sudden, it clicked. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Samurai. I've, I've seen, I've seen it about uh, eight, nine times, and the movie's, the movie's great. Unfortunately, not my idea of uh, gentlemen's midnight cinema. Um, film's way too arty. Um, there's just there's so much going on and I mean I don't alright, I'm back in my drinking mode. So I've been drinking <laughs> and uh yeah, I just I, I this is not a movie I can throw on at midnight. I that you know, that's Alfredo Garcia is more of my gentleman's guide to eight PM cinema. <laughs> um, I, I've got to, I've I've gotta be in full accord when I watch this movie. Because there's just so much going on, and it—you it, know—it actually probably is my favorite Sam Peckinpah film. Um I'll stop saying them now. All right, guys, great job. Blah blah blah. Take care.
0: All right, that was Jay from Lansing. Not East Lansing, not the home of the uh, 1979 <laughs> NCAA champion <laughs> uh, basketball team. Yeah, there
3: we go. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Jay brings up a couple interesting points. Of course, you know, he felt the same way about uh, Alfredo, that uh, I think that that you sometimes might have to watch that a couple of times to really appreciate what it is. Uh, it's funny that he hated it the first time he's seen it and now he thinks it's his, his favorite Sam Peckinpah. So that kind of gives you an idea of what kind of movie that is. I mean, because if you hate something the first time you see it, you typically are not going to go back and watch it again. Uh, but he ends up watching it a couple more times and ends up being his favorite Sam Peckinpah. And, and that's high praise, because uh, I know it's not your favorite Sam Peckinpah, and, and it's it's not my favorite Sam But And I think all three Three of us, me, you, and J. I think we all have three favorite, uh, three different uh, favorite Sam Peckinpah pictures.
0: <laughs> the, yeah, we do.
3: I think you're a wild bunch guy. I'm a straw dogs guy, and he is a bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia guy. So, yeah, interesting. It is interesting. Uh, I don't agree with uh, the fact that it's not midnight cinema, though. I think uh, Alfredo Garcia, if anything, is a bizarre, crazy, ape shit movie that definitely deserves the moniker of midnight cinema. It's uh it's an exploitation picture to me. It's just, it's just an insane movie. Uh, it is an art house movie at the same. Time, but uh, art house movies can be midnight movies too. I really do think that. So, matter of fact, I think a lot of art house movies are midnight movies because <clears throat> certain kinds of crowds are the only ones who are going to check those out. So, I don't know what your thoughts on that. Are
0: I right? would love to expound on, it. and I could spend probably an hour talking about uh, this point. Um, and I'll try and make it as brief as I can I also disagree with you Jay uh, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia features a lot of bloodshed it's a reven- a very greasy sweaty revenge film where a man talks to a decapitated head that has flies buzzing around it that's not exactly NBC 8 o'clock fare um, <laughs> yeah. it's it's a midnight film now the term midnight film I don't want to get into the sort of literal meaning um, in terms of you know uh, 42nd Street or you know, Fox Theater in Chicago whatever it was called all this sort of grindhouse screenings but um, Sammy and I approach the term Midnight Cinema a little bit differently. We look at Midnight Cinema as that stuff. We look at it as stuff that used to be on a cable late at night uh, when we were growing up. We look at it as sort of VHS stuff uh, from when we were kids watching the sleepovers. And we also look at it as art house stuff because art house stuff is not Commercially accessible—it's not commercial fare. It's stuff that's outside of uh, the, the sort of uh, you know the masses' viewing habits. Um, right. And I'm a big fan of art house films, uh, and i know mean, you are too, Sammy. And that film three I am we're going to cover is an art house film, and some people may not like it, and you know I apologize for that. But this show is about doing what we consider to be the spectrum of uh, midnight films, and all of those things fall under that umbrella for us.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, it can be anything from uh, you know, bring the head of Alfredo Garcia to a horror a film to Robert Altman's version of Popeye. I mean, it can be anything. Uh-huh. Uh, but that's the, the important thing. I mean, the original title of the show we came up with, uh, What kind of dropped it on me, was The Gentleman's Guide to Trash Cinema. I wasn't comfortable with that because I knew the word trash kind of, it really kind of defines movies more than Midnight Cinema does. Uh-huh. And uh, I didn't want to be defined by, you know, trash because uh, you know, I mean, that, that would be, if we if we called ourselves Trash Cinema and then we covered uh, The Godfather, it would be kind of a, uh, that would be a a pretty good argument there, Just we don't know what the hell we're doing. It'll so it will be an insult, you know. <laughs> so we, we changed it to Midnight Cinema because we believe that all films are created equally. Uh, they might not be reviewed equally, but they're all created with the intent of being entertaining, right? So it can be an art house, Film it can be uh, a killer tomato movie, which we'll talk about in a little bit, Jay. So there you go. Yeah. So, but thank it you for that. Uh,
0: thank you, straight to kick off. Thanks for that, uh, Jay. We, al- it, you know, we always like uh, debating uh, stuff with our listeners, and you certainly know your stuff, so uh, we appreciate that. Yeah,
3: Jay's always good for debate. Uh, that's one thing about Jay I really like is uh, he's really good at calling in voicemails and, and making a point. So good stuff, Jay.
0: Yes, good stuff.
3: Good stuff. All right, I'll play the voicemail from this individual who we said we'd hear from again. So here we go.
1: Hi, gentlemen. This is um, Christine from Paris Cinema. Um, first time caller. Um, to anybody actually, so yay. Um, just to listen to the latest episode, "Walking Home." uh, You had mentioned John Saxon at a convention, and Dylan and I had the wonderful pleasure of setting up our table right across from John Saxon at Texas Fear Fest earlier in the year. And he is a wonderful gentleman and quite popular, and just a lovely lovely man, and I went up to him and told him how much I loved him in Tenebrae, and he was um, quite impressed to hear that, as I guess everyone was coming up for um, the Nightmare on Elm Street stuff. But I just wanted to call and say that he's a great guy, and if you ever get a chance to meet him, I recommend waiting in a line. Um, Keep up the good work, guys, and I'm sure I'll call again eventually. Bye.
3: All right, that was... Christine from Paris Cinema. First time she's called into any show, she says, so we have something to hang our hats on, buddy.
0: We certainly do. We're big fans of the show and for her to, to call or the magazine, for her to call in is uh it's very awesome. It's uh you know, it's it's great that she did. I have a, a smile on my face. I don't know if you can hear that, uh. <laughs> In, uh, in my talking my talk. Hear the it.
3: creaking of the uh, facial muscles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, Christine, uh, you got a good point there. Uh, a lot of people, I know I've been to several conventions. Like, I the last, I haven't been to one in probably three or four years, though. But the last one I did go to, I saw, met Joe Dante. And everybody kept giving Joe Dante uh, gremlins on VHS to sign or a gremlins poster or gremlins this or gremlins that or gremlins this. And then me and the guy that was standing behind me, uh, he had uh, a howling uh, laser disc and... And I had a Piranha DVD, and uh, he was so happy when we got up there, and we didn't bring gremlins. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, sometimes movies define uh, actors and directors and whatnot. Uh, you know, I mean, Saxon is all over the damn map, so you could walk up to him and say, "Oh man, I loved you in Hands of Steel," and he'd be like, "Oh yeah, great." You know, because I mean, he's he's got so many acting credits, you could just go up and say anything. Oh, I loved you on the Six Million Dollar Man, or Doctor Kill Dare, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could just say all kinds of shit. Yeah. But some people like Joe Dante or Toby Hooper. I think you got a story about Toby Hooper. But you actually went up to him and said, "You know, you know, chain, chain, Texas Chainsaw Massacre," and he said he never gets tired of hearing that. So. Yeah,
0: he, he was. Yeah, I'll just very quickly say that I'd said to him, "You know, look," because I always say, "Oh, I'm going to ask them some really cool, uh, interesting questions when I meet these people," and inevitably I, I get stage fright and I end up turning into a gushing little girl who <laughs> oh, I love this and that, you know. But I I went up to Toby Hooper and um i said you know i i know you hear this a lot but i just adore texas chainsaw massacre i think it's uh it's my favorite horror film um or the best horror film ever made and you know and and i said i know that's not very original you must get sick of that and he he stopped me he said no he said honestly i never get tired of hearing that because you know for me to do something that someone considers that great you know he said it's such a great feeling so there you go
3: yeah good old toby boy and you know, he never really has ever recaptured that that's a, that's a debate for another time it
0: certainly is but I will say Saxon if there was ever a hall of fame uh, for genre cinema Saxon would be in the first class like the, f- the first class that got inducted in my opinion
3: yeah, for the comb over alone, but also for the amount of material he's done. The diversity, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's all over. He, he's all over the place. I, I love John Saxon. There's a lot of. He kind of reminds me of John Carradine in spots because, uh, like I said, when we reviewed Hands of Steel last week, uh, this is one of his uh, paycheck pictures. You know, he he shows up, he shoots a couple scenes in an office, he shoots a scene on a helicopter that's obviously not off the ground, by the way, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then you know he he shoots a laser gun, and then that's pretty much it. Yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs>
3: And he probably made a nice chunk of change, and you know he's still in good shape too, though. Man, I mean that guy—he's—he's pretty old, man, but he's in good shape. He He still looks like Saxon. He He looks great. Like Like
0: I said, I saw him from afar, sort of uh, at the festival. He looked good, man. Like I hope when I'm, uh, you know, seventy or however old he is, I look that good because he's in great shape. Uh, Viva la Saxon! I mean, the guy's done everything from Enter the Dragon to horror. I mean, like you said, everything. I mean, anyone who does fantasy film, fantasy—you
3: name it. There's not—he's done romance too. Back when he first started, he was doing romantic movies. Yeah. Oh, exactly. (laughs) He was like—he was a sex Symbol.
0: yeah yeah no i know i think i love the saxon anyone who doesn't
3: is not a friend of the show yeah and not a fan of uh genre cinema that's for sure yeah all right with that being said guys we're gonna go ahead and jump into our outro and it's a little different today still to keep into the holiday spirit so
4: I don't want a lot for christmas Trick. I just want you for my own more than you could ever know Make my wish come
3: So here we are the end of episode number 13. Good stuff. A little Christmas spirit to go out on. Uh, little Mariah. She always puts a smile on my face somehow. I don't know why that is. I don't really like that kind of music. But hey, what do you know? Uh, guys, I just want to go over a couple other things. Uh, make sure to check out popsyndicate.com and the forums over there. Make sure to check out uh, the, other, uh, the other podcasts that are over there, our sister cast and whatnot. Make sure to check out... Uh, the other podcasts we really support destroy the brain at destroy the brain online.com at Stroker versus, uh, versus punter which is chinstroker versus com, I think is what it is but just look for those guys they're really great and uh, mondomovie.com so make sure you check out those uh, check out net. order you some back issues make sure you uh, head over to horror uh and uh, check out uh, sean's website again our interview will be up there at some point in time uh, our voicemail line is two zero six 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 five two zero seven. Our email is midnightcinema at gmail.com. Again, make sure you support the little fundraiser we're doing over at Pop Syndicate. You can check out there's a widget on our website as well at ggtmc.libsend.com. And hopefully we'll get that done at ggtmc.com pretty soon. So, Yes, it's in the works. That's about all I got. Will, you want to add anything?
0: Um, yes, I do, actually. I almost forgot what I was going to say there. Um, And I almost forgot it again. Wow, I better spit it out before I completely forget. Okay, so the listener challenge, uh, we're going to be doing that uh, probably in the next few weeks. We're going to have a new one up. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do in terms of putting one up, but it should be up within the next few weeks. We'll probably announce it uh, when it is on the boards and on the show. Those of you on the boards will probably get a little jump on those who listen to the show exclusively. Um, So maybe join up on the boards. I mean, there's an idea, but... uh, yeah other than that just to further your love for mariah i'm not a huge fan of her music i do think she's a fox a kooky fox but i do think she's a fox and <laughs> in uh, in this day and age uh and i have watched glitter admittedly <laughs> oh, <laughs> there's wow. a confession for you it was terrible um <laughs> nice but uh she is a fox and i think that uh that's all i have to say and it's a good song
3: yeah. yep it is so until next time, guys, uh, this is Sam around Big Willie saying adios.
0: Adios.